Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 20th of November, year of our Lord, 2019. It's Coles. I'm in the bunker right now, literally with a stocking cap, a big fleece, and a pair of fleece pants. I'm freezing my ass off. So if I talk fast today, and it seems like I moved the show along, it's because it's cold. It's cold down here. Interesting show. We're going to do a uh, fire for effect because it's basically we're reliving everything. A little Kaepernick today, some hate, some impeachment shit. Um, I might even delve, if I have time, into the way they treated a GOP female. Um, I want to hit it a little bit. I didn't put it together because there's so many articles on it, but, you know, it is just the simple hypocrisy of our media and the left that, you know, you can't say anything to AOC or you're a sexist, racist piece of shite, but a GOP congresswoman, you can say whatever the fuck you want. We're also going to cover Leavenworth today. Um, I started watching it and completed it and interesting because at the same time I started watching this and I was taping it on Star's channel, um, literally the lieutenant gets released. And there's some interesting concepts in that too, but we'll wait for it there. So let's just shut my mouth and let's get into it. Let me start by saying I appreciate y'all coming out. That means a lot to me. Our biggest thing with everything today was making sure we had transparency in what went on. We weren't getting that elsewhere, so we came out here. It's important that y'all are here. Y'all been attacked for the last three years. Y'all continue to be attacked. We appreciate what y'all do. We appreciate you being here today. We appreciate the work you do for the people and telling the truth. That's what we want in everything. I've been ready for three years. I've been denied for three years. We all know why I came out here, showed it today in front of everybody. We have nothing to hide. So we're waiting for the 32 owners, the 32 teams, Roger Goodell, all of them to stop running. Stop running from the truth. Stop running from the people. We're out here, we're ready to play. We're ready to go anywhere. My agent, Jeff Nally, is ready to talk to any team. I'll interview with any team at any time. I've been ready, I'm staying ready, and I'll continue to be ready. And to all the people that came out here today to support, I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. To the people that aren't here, I'm thinking of you. I appreciate you supporting from where you are. 
We'll continue to give you updates as we hear. We'll be waiting to hear from Roger Goodell, the NFL, the 32 teams. We'll let you know if we hear from them. Ball's in their court. We're ready to go. PR stunt complete. And, of course, that's Kaepernick. Understand, Heavy had to put out to defend this piece of shit. Five fast facts you need to know about his Kunta Kente shirt. Kunta Kente was played by LeVar Burton in the miniseries. Kunta Kente's African origins. Uh, Kunta Kente uh, was a reference to Eddie Murphy coming to America. Kunta Kente was also played by actor John Amos in the Roots miniseries. And Kunta Kente was also dropped in Lamar... uh, Kendrick Lamar songs, uh, Dave Chappelle show, and Missy Elliott work it. Yeah. That's the shirt he wore. Because remember, he wants to give out, he's being blackballed. He's being blackballed. He's being treated horribly, they say. It's collusion. But he wears pig socks to diminish people's opinions of cops. And a Kunta Kente shirt. Kunta Kente wasn't offered a contract for millions of dollars to be a backup quarterback when he started sucking and turned that down. To since we're using Kunta Kente as a reference to how Colin Kaepernick's tra- been, you know, treated. Let, let's be honest. Kunta Kente didn't go out to the cotton field and get told, "Well, you know what? I'm going to sign you back on for uh, five more years of picking cotton." And I'm going to pay you uh, an extra ration. And Kunta Kente said, fuck this shit. I'm going to go on a national tour and disparage America and cops and the flag. No, that's not how it worked. Kunta Kente was a slave. That was back when people really treated people fucking horribly. Not this appearance thing where we basically, by the end of this show, everything's racist again. We got no more racist shit. Everything's racist. Because it's the new racism. It's the new white supremacy. Because old white supremacy really wasn't that big a thing until after the 60s, for fuck's sake. But we got to cling to that shit. Because we're bitter clingers. But you couldn't tell it on the... on the Only one person, surprisingly enough, had the fucking temerity to do the right thing. But everybody else, on ESPN, call for Kaepernick return to race-based exile. Who says anybody owes Colin Kaepernick a damn thing? It's time we all grow up with this. This was uh, Stephen A., and I'm going to play his sound bites. Um, it's time we all grow up with this. This is the National Football League. You don't owe him a job. You don't have no mandate to employ him. If you don't like that, employee does. And you decide that you don't move on from that employee. We've all been subject to that. I've been fired before. I know many people have been fired before. Most have felt that it's been egregious and unfair. And if you're a black man, you usually believe that it's some kind of racial connotation attached to it. You're usually right, he says. And Max Kellerman's did it. But everybody else, if you want to cross the airwaves, it was blah, blah, blah. Detroit Free Press puts NFL on defense. The NFL swears the workout this Saturday is legitimate, pushed back Wednesday afternoon that it had set in motion a deceptive narrative. The reality is he had a showing with all the teams, and he changed. He changed positions, and he got the people that were going to be... If you listen to that soundbite, thank you for fighting for me. Those are African-American people like Mike Freeman. They're not really reporters. They're fucking activists. And it was basically a PR stunt 
by Kaepernick, not the NFL. I mean, Megan Rapoe thanks Kaepernick while accepting Woman of the Year Award because of all the good things he does. So what I'm going to do is play two long Stephen A. sound bites because Stephen A. believes all white people are racist, and he's pretty much racist himself, but even he sees through the bullshit. So let me get this straight. Colin Kaepernick has been working out all of this time. Him, people in this camp, his close ones, loved ones, everybody talking about he wants to play football. He wants to play football. He's ready to play. Just give him the chance. So what does the NFL do? Recognizing that teams need a shield because they need something to hide behind because they know that guess what? If we bring this brother in for a workout and we don't like him or we don't want him, who knows what we're going to get accused of? We need cover. So the NFL provides that. I have no doubt Jay Z's involved. I have no doubt Roger Goodell is involved. I have no doubt there's a host of people involved, but forget all of that. This man wanted a chance. 25 teams show up in Georgia at the Atlanta Falcons practice facility, stated our facility, NFL personnel, equipment, everything, video, everything. And what does Colin Kaepernick do? Not Tuesday when he found out about it, not Wednesday, not Thursday, not Friday, Saturday. Three hours before the workout. Because of some issue with a liability waiver. Colin Kaepernick wants to change the venue. Colin Kaepernick wants his own receivers. Colin Kaepernick wants to video things himself. Colin Kaepernick wants the media. This Colin Kaepernick, media can't find him. He ain't done no interviews. He ain't talked to nobody. Media can't find him, but he wants to do it. He wants the media available now. You see? You see? He don't want to play. He wants to be a martyr. But guess what? It ain't working this time. All of us believe that Colin Kaepernick would have showed out. And if he had showed out, I'm here to tell you, I believe he would have had a job inside of two weeks. But it didn't happen because he didn't show. He wanted to show up to a high school in Georgia. Not an NFL facility, a high school. And then YouTube it live. Like the average Joe out there gets to decide if he's on the NFL roster. You don't want to work. You just want to make noise. And you want to control the narrative. It's over. Colin Kaepernick's aspiration in the NFL. For an NFL career. It's over. Talk to y'all Monday on first day. Thanks for watching ESPN on YouTube. For more sports highlights and analysis, be sure to download the ESPN app. And for live streaming sports and premium content, subscribe to ESPN+. Plus. I've been told that Colin Kaepernick, um, he'd have to throw the ball into the stands and play like complete garbage or run his mouth incessantly, whether it be via Instagram, Twitter, or whatever, really, really speaking out 
being vigilant, I'm sorry, being, um, you know, rebellious or whatever the case may be in order for him not to have a job in the NFL within the next week or two. Um, obviously, that raised an eyebrow because here's what everybody needs to understand. This is an NFL workout. Colin Kaepernick is an unrestricted free agent. Teams are free to bring him in anytime they damn well please. The fact that this is a league organized thing is what has everybody up in arms because this is not how things go down. The way that things go down is the individual team usually brings you in and works you out and makes an assessment about where you are and what you're bringing to the table. That's not what's taking place here. This is league organized. Obviously, anywhere from 10 to 15 teams are expected and anticipated to show up. The only time you see something like this being conducted by the league is for the NFL scouting combine. It certainly isn't applicable to an NFL free agent who happens to be a veteran with six seasons in the National Football League, although he's been away for the last three. This is what the situation is with Colin Kaepernick. Now, to me, the name that comes to my mind is Jay-Z and Rock Nation. Why? Because Jay-Z meets with Commissioner Roger Goodell. At that particular moment in time, he's excoriated all of a sudden. Hove, who everybody loved. A whole bunch of folks turned against him, accusing him of selling out, turning in his black card and all of this ridiculous nonsense. And what did he say? He said, listen, folks are going to work behind the scenes. Called the NFL office, called the Players Association, spoke to a whole bunch of people, Kaepernick side, Rock Nation, the list goes on and on. Clearly, there appears to be a collective effort that has taken place to include these teams with league participation and league approval, obviously. So it appears to be something very, very serious. And the only thing that can get in the way of Colin Kaepernick being back in the NFL is if he refuses to shut up and he go or and or he goes out there and shows that he can't play. Now, just weeks ago, I saw Colin Kaepernick. Where I saw him at is none of y'all business. Here's what y'all need to know. He looked pretty damn good. He looked in tremendous shape. Okay? He looked ready to go. All of this noise about how he's been working out hours upon hours every single day, all true. Because he looked it. He looks like he is in phenomenal shape and ready to go. So really what this comes down to is I don't expect him to show up Saturday and to have forgotten how to throw a football, certainly to have forgotten how to run with a football, particularly when you watch guys like Lamar Jackson doing what he does with his feet, okay? You fantasize about what Colin Kaepernick can do because you saw him do it, which means to me that they're interviewing because they did say they're going to interview him. Clearly, the interview is not going to be about salary, Max. He ain't getting any more than a minimum. He's an unrestricted free agent, hasn't played in the NFL. I've been told this morning the league minimum is around 800000 plus. You prorated across, over the course of 17 games. There's seven weeks left in the season. You're talking about anywhere from three hundred and fifty dollars to $375,000 that he's going to get. It's non-negotiable. So the money, the salary is not a negotiable, uh, a negotiable issue. The issue is going to be where you at. What's your mentality? You ready to play football and focus on that? That's what this interview is going to be about. We'll see what happens. When I first heard this news, it was so bizarre. And it was even presented in such bizarre language. I didn't even understand what people meant. Wait a minute. 
Did Kaepernick's people set this up? It was it was seemed intentionally left vague. Nope. Did teams set this up? Oh no, wait a minute. The NFL set this up. But that's not the business of the NFL to set it up. In fact, Goodell, when he was asked about this in the past, said these are this these kind of decisions are up to the individual clubs. Okay. So I start to think, what could this really be about? Bizarre. You know, Coaches, GMs getting ready for the game on Sunday. It's on a Saturday. This doesn't make any sense. Why would you work him out then? Why were his people told, no, it's got to be this. It can't be pushed off. It must be on this date. Why don't they have a list of, why, why is there no knowledge of who's going to be there? So I thought to myself, okay, here's some scenarios. One, there's an owner out there and a GM, obvious front office, that wants to do this but needs cover with their fan base because it's still considered a polarizing issue for some Stupid reason. Um, and so they need cover, so they, they're doing this whole thing. Two, more like, that's unlikely. More likely than that, my mind went to Jay-Z also, Stephen A., that maybe he is trying to broker something here. And that may be true, but I think that my third thought is actually what is probably going on in spite of what people may be saying or what maybe even Jay-Z is being told. I don't know. My suspicion is that there is some huge, for something like this to happen, for the NFL to leak it to the national press a day ahead of time, um, that's not the way normally this stuff goes down. There must be some enormous piece of business behind all of this. And, and, and maybe the CBA coming right up, right? It's looming. Some enormous piece of business, maybe a lawsuit that they're afraid of, but it has the smell to me, Stephen A., of legal butt covering by the NFL. It may be that no. there are also people behind the scenes trying to broker something, but it, but I would be very surprised no. if in fact it turns out that within a week, if Kaepernick doesn't say anything, he is actually on an NFL well, roster. I'd be happily surprised, but surprised it, nonetheless. Here's what everybody needs to understand. Colin Kaepernick, Filed a grievance. The grievance was settled. So the reality is that combined with everybody in the NFL talking about Patrick Mahomes to Lamar Jackson to Deshaun Watson to Seattle, San Francisco, et cetera, et cetera. Folks are focused on football. The NFL did not have to at this particular moment in time make this move to have this workout. Thanks for watching ESPN on YouTube. For more sports highlights and analysis, be sure to download the ESPN app. And for live streaming sports and premium content, subscribe to ESPN+. Plus. You know, when I agree with Stephen A. on shit, I really feel dirty inside. Because if you've ever listened to the show, he goes full Trump's fucking piece of shit. I mean, he, he is he's part of the cabal. But the reality is, at least he has intellectual honesty. Kaepernick had a contract, he turned it down. Kaepernick got a load of money off it. Kaepernick has spent his whole time being a shill for the Democrats and pushing social causes. The reality is, I've said it on Twitter so many times like a puke coat hangers, he makes more money labeling things racist and being a social cause head than he ever will as a football player. 
Kaepernick was an amazing football player. I'm not taking anything away from him. I have the pain of a San Francisco in the cold. It's a fucking divisional playoff, and Clay Matthews looks like a jackass. Can't can't do anything with that pistol. But a couple of years later, like everything else, like right now, the big thing is going to be Lamar. Uh, what, what the fuck is his name? Um, God, my brain just fucking locked. It's Lamar, right? Isn't it Lamar? Ravens quarterback? Ravens QB. Uh, Lamar Jackson. There we go. Um, he's the best thing with liquid tide with bleach. And he's an amazing athlete. And I understand the history of black quarterbacks and how the league didn't think black quarterbacks and scat backs and everything could play, and they turned them into wide receivers, and there was some institutional racism and all that bullshit as laid out by everything else. But the reality is every one of these quarterbacks, including my bro-ham, Marcus Mariota, who's also a minority, eventually they get fucked up. It never works unless you're a pocket passer like Warren Moon or McNabb. They had long careers, but these scat backs run around, make plays go, blah, blah, blah. It always fucks them up. The league's been away from that shit, but he's the next thing. He is the future of quarterbacks. He'll win the fucking MVP. He is so awesome, and somebody's going to break his fucking spine next year, or by the end of this year, and I don't wish that on anybody, because it's the NFL. That's what fucking happens. But Kaepernick's time went, and it was gone. He's a fucking backup. Is he better than other backups in the league? Yes, he is. That argument's succinct. There's some shit-ass fucking backups. But this is a fucking business. We talked about it on the show, but let me reiterate for new listeners, because I've had a lot of new listeners, and also I apologize for last podcast, fucking up and doing a double take on a segment. I don't know how I edited that fucked up, but I fucked it up. The reality is... You live in a country that majority of it, uh, unless you're in a super blue state, as we'll see later on in the show, where now they're telling pro-life people they have to hire fucking people with abortion and they can't fire people for abortion. Now, I don't know any job that would do that other than religious jobs, but once again, fuck you and your religion. That's another part of our show today. we got a lot of fuck religion, fuck Christians, blah, blah, blah. But at will. I don't have to give you a reason for fuck if I fire you. You're done. Goodbye. That's what unemployment, the social net that the Democrats put in, is here for. You get unemployment. And people have been fired for less. This guy is a cancer on a locker room. He comes in. All he does is social justice bullshit. He protests fucking protesting. The man is something people don't want because what they forget and what we'll see later on as i'm foreshadowing again chick-fil-a forgot a lot of people in this country i would say a majority of the country which i actually had a survey from xm that this was the survey we don't want social justice with our goddamn peanut butter and chocolate i just want a reese's christmas tree that's what i want not a reese's gay flag Christmas tree. Nobody wants that. They just want the Reese's Christmas tree. And I use that as a really weird analogy, but they are not in stores yet. I'm really pissed. They do taste the best of all of them. They're better than pumpkins. I'm just throwing it out there. But that's all we want. 
We don't want social media fucking stupid shit. Majority of the country could give a fuck about the causes that the left's coming up with every 2.3 fucking seconds. We really don't fucking care. And we just want football. Or we just want a TV show. The left doesn't see it that way. The left sees everything as a way to brainwash the masses and get people elected. The media does that. So does Hollywood. So does every TV show. We feel we have to do it. We have to have 45 fucking gay people on a show of 46 characters. Because if we don't do that, it's just like SWAT. I just finished SWAT from last week. A SWAT this week's going to come out. And they're still pu- pushing that Polly Morris fucking bullshit that nobody fucking cares. They're on there either to, to get off on looking at that black guy because the women think he's hot as shit. White, black, pink, tutti fruity doesn't matter they find him an attractive man or they want to see the SWAT shit that's why I tune in although Shaman Moore is a good-looking man I'll just throw it out there I don't have a bro crush on him I'm just saying he's not he's not ugly on the eyes I mean he's a, he's a sexy motherfucker I'm, I'm clear in my sexuality he's a good-looking guy but the fact of the matter is we, we don't care if, if the girls got a lesbian and a dude and they're in the marriage and all that that plot line is a throwaway, but they feel they have to throw it in there because that's what the pressure is. I mean, I am still waiting for fucking SEAL team to come out with the transgender SEAL guy just because they feel, well, maybe our ratings will improve we do it. But the left has to shove this down our neck, but most people don't want it. And to get back to my points as I've segued over to fucking Christmas trees and bullshit, no company wants to deal with the baggage that comes with Colin Kaepernick. Yes. Could he help our team? Sure could. Could he be a great backup? Fantastic backup. Better than most. But his baggage outweighs the need, so they go for somebody that's safe. Because really, do we really care about backup quarterbacks? Nobody cares about backup quarterbacks until your starting quarterback gets crushed. But a guy that nobody thought was worth a fuck was on the New Orleans Saints... Breeze hurt his hand. That motherfucker got a couple wins. We're good. New Orleans Saints are still in the mix. That's the guy we want. Just a guy that can hand the ball off, do enough, and get our starter back on the field. Sure, the Packers two years ago could really have used a backup quarterback, and we gave away all our backup quarterbacks. But a backup quarterback with 45 luggage bags full of bullshit, social justice crap, our fans hating us because we hired him as Chick-fil-A is starting to see. No, nobody wants that. So it's not about race anymore. I would say it was never about his race. And if his cause is for black people, great. That's still not the reason. The kneeling was a thing people could put up with. The 75 Kunta Kente shirts and fucking pig socks and all that bullshit, it just goes into, man, I don't want that shit around my team. It's hard enough to win. That motherfucker's a distraction. And as Stephen A. succinctly said, which makes me feel dirty inside, dude, if he wanted to play, he could have played. He could have taken a contract with fucking San Francisco. Nobody in the media establishment, your Mike fucking racist ass Freeman from BR and all the other fucking douche nozzle white dudes that write articles on this, you never say he turned down his contract. It was collusion. No, it wasn't. It wasn't collusion. They all just think the fucking same. They don't want his bullshit. 
And if you can't see that, well, you're fucking a biased, partisan piece of shit. Lastly, on this subject, we're going to move on to Trump going to the hospital. We're here again. I'm just going to vent briefly about it. Folks, I just think they need this every once in a while to stir up America's racist. I think the whole race hustling industry just has to do something, and he's part of that industry. You know, he's with Sharpton and all them fucking racists. They have to stir this up. Trump's a racist because he said something about it. It's an election year. We need to we need to write all these virtue signaling, quick hit fucking everybody's racist articles, and he does something for them, and they do it. I think it's all designed to get it back in the news because, as we've said on the show, there's no black people getting shot by cops anymore. There's none of this shit. I mean, if anything, black people are getting killed, robbed assaulted because cops can't do shit anymore because of Obama's everybody's like my son. They are wrongly shot even though they're beating the fuck out of people. I mean, we just had one couple of dude beat a dude with the chair until he went in a coma, but the cops, the asshole. Okay. But I think they just need this. It's political. It gets it stirred back up. You need to make sure once again, we scare everybody in the black community from ever voting for anybody who's, conservative because they'll lose their hold on them and they are there's a walk away on twitter we talk about on the show black people are fucking starting to wake up and go what the fuck what have democrats really done for us all they care about is latinos and trannies and a tranny latino trumps everybody so let's be honest it's all about other causes and the biggest racist nazi piece of shit ever has record unemployment in the black community. Do I need to say anything else? Probably not. I'm going to shut up. Here's the media talking about Trump and his health. Tonight, there are growing questions two days after President Trump underwent a surprise physical exam. Though the White House says it was routine, few details have been released. We get more from NBC's Hans Nichols. The president leaving on an unannounced trip to Walter Reed Medical Center with his personal physician riding by his side. The White House insisting that it was for portions of an annual physical. That man works from 6 a.m. until, you know, very, very late at night. He's doing just fine. You know, you know, Stephanie, he's, he's almost superhuman. But the Saturday visit was different from his two previous presidential physicals, raising concerns about his health. Those were on his official schedule, took more than four hours, and were not done in phases. The president tweeted, everything very good, great, will complete next year. As a candidate, Trump released a letter from his doctor touting his astonishingly excellent health. But the doctor later said that Trump dictated the whole letter. After his first White House physical, his official doctor declared him fit. I told the president that if he had a healthier diet over the last uh, 20 years, he might live to be 200 years old. But at his last checkup, doctors noted a higher coronary calcium score. The calcium score he had from 2018, which showed that he already had some plaque buildup around his heart, uh, that's a bit concerning. The president, who is 73, plans to do phase two of his physical next year. 
Brian Seltzer was on the case. So Trump says visited a great family, a young man under major surgery. Those are truly some of the blah, 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 blah. Earlier today on CNN, Dr. Sanjay Gupta said it's a bit curious when Trump went to Walter Reed for unannounced visits. The White House said it was for physical. Gupta wondered if the medical team had time to plan for this visit. Did they know he was coming ahead of time? And from the Washington Post, Karen Tumley, we need a second opinion on the president's health. George Conway, Kenny Tumley has it exactly right here. Even though the White House told a story that made sense, we've had no reason to believe him oh and and just for shits and grins here's wolf blitzer attacking kellyanne conway and listen to what he says i just have a final question a sensitive question uh and it's it's a political question it's a substantive question i don't want to talk about your marriage i know that there are <laughs> there are there are issues there your husband george conway he's a yeah, lawyer your husband, George Conway. Did you just say there are issues there? You don't want to talk about marriage? I don't want to talk about... No, I don't want to Why talk... Why did you say that? I don't want to talk about your marriage. I don't want to talk about your... I want to talk about a substantive point that your husband, George Conway, made. He was on television all day yesterday during this, the first day of the impeachment hearings, and he said this about the President of the United States. I just want your reaction to the substance of what so he said. So before you play the clip, which I haven't seen, why? And why are you doing that? Because, because he's a legal scholar, he's a lawyer, and he was really going after the President of the United States, and he was and, all over and the television is, yesterday. And, and, come on, I just want you to, I just, and he's married to me? What, you know, it, it, he happens to be married to you. What's but you wrong can with run that? The, you can run the clip of Jeffrey. He happens to be married to me. That's bizarre. Correct. But uh, he's also a legal scholar. He's, he's got a substantive point. Listen to I what... I Jeffrey Tubin's point. Your, your senior legal analyst, I loved his point on CNN yesterday. We, we don't have to play a competitor's clip. You, you so should not here, have just here, said to your audience, um, I don't want to talk about your marriage, quote, I know there are issues. Why, why would you say that? What is it? I don't want to talk about your, I don't want to talk about your marriage. Why would you say there are issues? L- listen to what your husband said. <laughs> I'll play the club. The problem with Donald Trump is he always sees himself first. Mm-hmm. Trump is all about Trump. And that's why it was inevitable he'd get himself into the soup once again. And that's what, that's what this is all about. He's using the he was using the power of the presidency in its most unchecked area, foreign affairs, mm-hmm. to advance his own personal interests as opposed to the country's. All right, that's a serious allegation, a serious charge. He was using uh, the power of the presidency, its most unchecked area, foreign affairs, to advance his own personal interests as opposed to the country's. That is. His opinion. And we, I don't think MSNBC was lacking for anti-Trump voices. And we've heard things like that said on CNN for three years. And we've heard things like that said on that network for three years and elsewise. And where, honestly, where is the shame? Where is the introspection of people who have said for three years, respectfully, Wolf, actually beginning in May of 2017, I'll quote your wife's husband right now. I won't talk about your marriage, but I could quote your wife's husband. 2017, you asked Angus King, are we getting closer to impeachment? You've been very generous with your time. Thank you. Thanks so I'm much for coming in. I'm a very generous, kind person, and people will see that later on. And, you know, you have people at CNN uh, who live on Twitter. I, I choose to live offline. It's a much, just a much better life to live offline than to live online. That's their choice. Uh, but they, they love to do what you just did also. And I think that's unfortunate because, again, this is CNN now. You have N, Cable News Network. And respectfully, I think a bunch of gossip girls and a bunch of opinion-making and pontificating is not... 
the way I looked at CNN. CNN gave me a chance. They hired me in 1996. I'm sure your viewers will freak out when they hear that. When very few people were paid to go on TV, 1996, you always kind to me, Bernie Shaw, Judy Woodruff, a lot of people. And when I was just starting out in my career, in my polling career and on TV, and I just can't believe that it's come to conversations like this. But you want to impeach Shall the president? Have, impeach the president. We had a very we had a very substantive conversation. We did, that's what I do. You, I speak with no you, notes we, and no net. We gave you we gave you plenty of time to make your points, and you did. We appreciate it. Thank you. You're always welcome to come back and join me here on. Sunday. You'll stay in my prayers. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. You understand that would be fucking just sexist as fuck to talk about a democratic or progressive woman's relationship. You understand that, right? But anyway, I digress. Simon Proposka, whatever the fuck. Mystery continues. CNN. Typically, Walter Reed medical staff would get a generic notice about a VIP visit to the medical center ahead of the president visit. That did not happen this time, indicating the visit was a non-routine visit and scheduled last minute. And Seltzer got foamy at the mouth. It is times like these when the White House really needs to have credibility. Times like these, when the president suddenly turns up at Walter Reed Military Hospital, sparking concerns about his health and rumors about what's really going on. Uh, This was the Saturday afternoon visit to Walter Reed. It was not publicly announced ahead of time, nor was it scheduled in advance, the source tells CNN. So it surprised the press, and it also evidently surprised the medical staff. So there are some serious questions here. Trump returned home after a couple of hours. Maybe the White House is telling the truth, the whole truth, by saying this was just a routine checkup, just a jumpstart on his annual physical. Now, that sounds unusual, but maybe that's the truth. Maybe Trump is in great shape. Hopefully, that is the case. Hopefully, all is well. But the White House squandered much of its credibility at the very beginning of Trump's tenure and hasn't regained it by any stretch. So we can't cover these stories like it's business as usual. This is not business as usual. This is an administration that makes up crowds and draws squiggly lines on maps and tells you not to believe your own eyes and ears. Just this week, we found out that April's press release about Trump's first call with the newly elected president of Ukraine was inaccurate. The press release, known as a readout, claimed that the two leaders agreed to work together to root out corruption. But the rough transcript of the call showed that there was no mention of corruption. And now there's a fight over who was at fault for that. But the point is that the White House gives us new reasons to distrust almost every day. So skepticism is not just understandable, it's not just acceptable, it is necessary. At this point, it is actually irresponsible to just take Trump at his word. He gets numbers and facts and names and words wrong, and he actively misleads the public, and he expects his aides to do the same thing. This is all disappointing, I know, but as the Daily Beast Sam Stein wrote this morning, when you've burned all of your credibility on big, medium, and petty matters, you will lose the benefit of the doubt on the important stuff. Yes, important stuff like the wellness of the commander-in-chief. Not to put too fine a point on it, but this is why public officials shouldn't lie to you. And right now, Stephanie Grisham says she is not lying. Uh, She keeps going on Fox shows instead of briefings. She was on with Janine Pirro on Saturday night. She told Pirro that Trump is healthy, as can be. Uh, When I tweeted out a quote from the show with Grisham saying, this was just a routine visit to Walter Reed, Grisham replied to me. Here's what she said. She said, "Uh, thank you. Thank you for helping me get the correct information out. Further speculation beyond the extensive and honest info I've put out is wholly irresponsible and dangerous for the country. You know what else is dangerous? This administration's culture of dishonesty. Does anybody actually believe the media wants him to be healthy? 
He did a whole tweet screed, the same thing he just said. Hopefully all is well with the president. Hopefully the White House is telling the whole truth. La, 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 people's responses. Seems to be a lot more fun for people, some reporters, to speculate and spread irresponsible, dangerous rumors. He spent time with medical staff and military families after the checkup, and I believe the pool reporter seeing him walk into the White House upon return. But details, and yet you didn't cover the biggest story last week, Epstein cover-up, because it didn't fit your narrative. Memorandum for Stephanie Grisham from Sean P. Conley. The past Saturday afternoon, the president traveled up to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, blah, 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 blah. They made such a big deal about this shit that would be inappropriate for Hillary because when she did face plants, you're sexist. Remember? Talking about health is only what Democrats can do because McCain was in the grave. But you can't do it. You, you, you can't do it as a conservative. But our media went on another, he's gonna die, wishful thinking. We hope it will happen. It's almost disgusting. Because these are the same people for eight years that said, we must respect the office of the President of the United States. And every time you criticize that president or question anything about that president, even his tan fucking suit, you were a racist fucking piece of shit. You're a slave owner. You have a cotton field in your house. I don't care where you live. That's how they acted. It's straight up hate. And so is this. We had another shooting. Here's Katie Turr. Basically saying it's uh, the GOP's fault. Scarborough, kids are on buying sprees for ARs, even though they're not old enough to buy them. NBC uses no facts whatsoever, and CNN didn't bring a single person on that was for 2A rights. I mean, with politics so tight, there's the whole don't take my guns. But after you're in something like this, don't take my life. That's a high school senior in Santa Clarita, California, who says she and her classmates barricaded the door and had to hide inside their classroom after a gunman opened fire. Congressman, you and I have spoken, you know, way too often about the epidemic of school shootings across this country. And after Parkland, um, I know that you were praying, uh, as were so many people, that Congress would take some action. And after Parkland, President Trump vowed to help fix this. In fact, he told Parkland parents uh, in a meeting at the White House that he would help try to fix this. So so what has happened to, what has the Trump administration done to try to solve the school shooting epidemic? A majority, a gun safety majority in the House of Representatives, and we passed a background checks bill, the universal background checks bill, which is one significant piece to try to save lives, and the administration has done nothing. About this yeah. case in particular, this Santa Clarita one, this shooter had a uh, 45 um, caliber pistol. 16-year-olds in California cannot buy guns. So, how do you think he got it? I, I don't. I don't know, Allison. And we'll find out the the details. But what tends to happen is after after a horrific event like this is we and and it's understandable. We want to know the facts. We want to know exactly what happened. We want to figure out if if there's some fix that will address this and every. Uh, every bit of gun violence in America, and there isn't. 
There isn't. But that doesn't mean that we do nothing. And that's the frustration. And for people who say, well, background checks may not have prevented this. Background checks may not stop every every school shooting. Um, that's right. But if it stops some, if it's if it saves some lives, we ought to do it. Of course. I mean, Congressman, there's also an opioid epidemic in our in our country, as you know. And nobody says, oh, well, I guess there can, there's nothing we can do about that. I mean, the, the helplessness that lawmakers seem to feel about this epidemic of gun violence is so different than any other epidemic. And there's so much more we can do. We yeah. can fund programs in communities to, to help address gun violence. Yeah. We can have extreme risk protection orders. There are things that just, they're not partisan. They're not partisan, and we need to just get them done. You're so right. I mean, you're so right. Helplessness is the wrong word. Impediment. And look, it was also in the context of what happened in California yesterday. President Clinton was saying, you can get something done on guns, which our reporting is, Charlie, that the White House has given up on, isn't even going to try anymore after the president said he was going to work with Congress on background checks and the like. Yeah, it's too bad because there's plenty of opportunity. They could pass a universal background check in a nanosecond, I believe, if it ever got a vote. Particularly President Trump could because Republicans follow what he says he wants to do. I mean, he's the person who actually could do it. Absolutely. The the absurdity of this whole thing. I was in the Pennsylvania legislature and we passed universal background checks then uh, for private sales of pistols. It was not an and Pennsylvania is a pro firearm state. We did it. I mean, they could simply adopt the Pennsylvania law. Uh, and it was at, and it was passed by Republican legislature and Tom Ridge governor. I mean, I just I'm, I'm amazed that they can't uh, just t- take up something so simple as universal background. Well, it's a choice. If President Trump has chosen not to do it at this point. It, it, and one of the things you will hear uh, gun supporters say is, well, there isn't a law that would stop this shooting. And in California, that, that may be, very well be the case in many cases. But it may be the wrong question. It's not that one law can stop every school shooting, correct? Well, that's absolutely right. Look, we have an absolute epidemic of gun uh, uh, tragedy in this country. And I think everything that we can possibly do to potentially limit those tragedies, to possibly stop the next one, those are responsible steps that we should be taking to make sure that... Just a day after another deadly school shooting tonight, we're talking to one of the 2020 candidates about something Democratic voters told us is important to them, gun control. Senator Kamala Harris tells NBC's Harry Smith how she'd tighten gun laws as part of our series, What Matters? Um, At our gathering of Democratic voters, I get the Second Amendment. Ron Schuller is an Air Force veteran and retired police officer. We showed Senator Kamala Harris what matters to him. Would you support moving assault rifles into a class three weapon category, which requires a more enhanced background check and greater hurdles to overcome to own those? What'd you think of what Ron had to say? I get it. I get it. Um, What he is saying is that, you know, reject the false choice, which suggests you're either in favor of the Second Amendment or you want to take everyone's guns away. It's a false choice. There are certain certain types of weapons that should not be on the streets of a civil society. Harris agrees. She wants universal background checks and a renewal of the assault weapons ban. She also supports a mandatory gun buyback. So, say you've got a couple hundred thousand off the off the streets. I mean, that's isn't that just a drop in the bucket? Well, what we'll do is have a, an incentive for people to turn them in and buy them back. But when we're talking about weapons of war, I mean, it it literally is this simple. 
five million assault weapons on the streets of America. Period. And if Congress won't act, Harris says, as president, she'll take... If this shooting yesterday... Two Muslims. If it had been a Muslim that had shot two American kids, Washington would be shut down today. Remember San Bernardino? Mm -hmm. Remember, remember, Washington got shot, shut down. But Jason, if it's, if it's this random domestic terrorism with kids being able to walk into gun stores and get AR-15s and shoot up their schools, not necessarily this school, I don't know what what weapons were used here, but at at a majority of the schools, it's this epidemic spreads across America. Republicans say absolutely nothing. If one Muslim kills one or two Americans and, you know, uh, and says Akbar Allah, then suddenly Washington shuts down. So these Republicans, they, they, they actually are prioritizing death. Some deaths are more disturbing than others. But when it's just our kids getting shot in school, unless a Muslim did it, right. they, don't, they just don't do anything. Yeah, Joe. And, and here's the thing. You know, I was I was I was at the rally for the Parkland kids last year. And I also want to talk about not just the sort of terror in the classroom. I can tell you the terror of people in the classroom, the teachers. I'm faculty. I, I've, I've gone through active shooter training. I know the fear of, you know, hearing a bang outside. I, I know the concerns that students have. Well, well, what would happen if someone came down the hallway? Dr. Johnson, do you have to guard the door? Which way do we go here and there? The idea that we are basically sending our children into places that they consider to be combat zones every day are a problem. And look, unfortunately, it's bad enough that the Republicans only seem to care if the shooter is black or brown or something else like that. But I recognize that the Republican Party as a whole, and unfortunately some conservative Democrats, didn't even care about the colors of the victims. If white children in Sandy Hook can be murdered en masse, and yet members of Congress throw up their hands, then they clearly do not care about anything in this country. They are more in love with their guns than they are in different kinds of children in this this country, regardless of what color they are. And that's the most disappointing and disgusting thing about the epidemic of violence we've seen in the inner city, in the country, in the suburbs, in every... Well, you have to have senators that would put the lives of America's children before their Senate seat. You know, I would I would uh, stand with the children, uh, the kids, the young people from Parkland, the March for Our Lives group. Uh, you know, and I, and I would say to uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, okay, boomer, put the bills on the floor. Why are you afraid to let the bills be voted on and debated on the floor of the Senate? That's the most un-American thing that I can think of. Do you think this is a you know, Second Amendment is- issue? Oh, sure. They think the votes are there, and they won't risk their seat. Soldiers will risk their lives to save children. Policemen will. Firemen will. But senators won't risk their seat to save the children's lives. That's that's really disgraceful. And all they've got to do is put the bill on the floor and debate it and vote on it. You know, the Constitution gives us freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, except in the Senate. In the Senate, you get nothing. And you get no action. So there'll be no remedy. I don't think there'll be any courage up there at all. No courage because they're afraid for their seats. They're fearful. They're more protective of their seats than the lives of your your kids, of America's kids. And so what it'll take is the voters. And once the voters vote them out, then they'll have a change of heart because their seat's the most important thing to them. 
And then they want the seat, and then they'll have to go with the voices of the voters. And Jim, you were just speaking about um, senators not showing the courage to to put their seats at risk, to pass common sense uh, gun reforms, background checks, etc. Would you go so far as to hold them responsible for the deaths that are continuing, um, the lives that are continuing to be lost with gun violence? Look, I clearly do. All leaders have a responsibility to act responsibly to help the citizens. And it's not responsible to block a debate or to block a vote. And that's what's happening. That's that's totally irresponsible. It's not leadership. It shows no leadership integrity. It's done to protect their seats. They don't want to have to vote on the bill because they're afraid in their state or district, their constituents won't like the way the vote may turn out. The vote may turn out overwhelmingly, as you've pointed out, Katie, of 90% of Americans want background checks. Uh, it may turn out to pass the background checks. And they don't want to take the blowback they think they'll receive from their voters in uh, in their states. So that's what they're afraid of. They're afraid of blowback from their voters, maybe not getting reelected. So in their zeal to blame Republicans for every shooting and all this shit, and we need to take all the guns because we don't want you people that we don't trust, people that shouldn't even have a vote, people that live in states and believe in God and all that stupid shit. We don't want you with weapons. They ran a bunch of reports, once again, of teachers doing stuff. So Stephen Gutowski saw a report from MSDNC earlier today on teachers being trained for carrying guns in the Utah school that was both very interesting and fair. Glad to see the teachers being interviewed about why they want to be armed. It reminded me a lot of my time with teachers training to legally carry guns in Colorado. Here's the soundbite, which I would never really play, but there's a reason. At a sheriff department training center in Utah, the sound of gunshots means class is in session. But these aren't police. They are school teachers and faculty being taught how to stop and kill an active shooter. Around a corner, Brenda Betteridge has just spotted her target. Can I shoot this? One more. Put it in the head. Good. What do you think? That was exhilarating, kind of nerve-wracking. Yeah, you're, you're shaking a Yeah, bit. still. Yeah, yeah, because you don't know what to expect. And you walk in and you see a gunman with a young child. You know, this has got to count. If there was a student that brought a gun to school, and a student that you possibly knew, would you be able to stop him with a gun? That's a really loaded question. And I think, depending... Uh, it would be tough. It would be heartbreaking. But just think of what, how it would alter life if you didn't do something. But as radical as all this might seem, under Utah state law, teachers have been allowed to carry guns into schools for years, as long as they're secured and concealed. One of the fears has to be that there's going to be an accidental discharge in a school, right? It could happen. But again, I go back to the guns are in the school. Um, they're we, already there. They're there. I'm going to be right behind you. Okay. If they're going to do it, we need to help them prepare for it. Sheriff Mike Smith says after a lockdown in Salt Lake City, deputies found unsecured guns left by teachers in places like a desk in a purse. So he decided it was time to start training educators how to carry a gun. The minute the word got out, our class filled up. Uh, and we had a waiting list for the next class. Is it just teachers? No, it's majority of teachers, 
um, but we have custodians, we have librarians, we have Custodians and librarians are yep. trying to sign up, too. Yep. And did you yeah. send me the gun? Yes. Okay. His course is extensive, covering everything from first aid for a child gunshot victim, come out, self-defense, de-escalation, all the way to marksmanship. Get that sight. And basic tactics. Are you at all worried about a kid possibly getting your gun at school? No. It'd be on my person at all times, secure and, and concealed. The country's going to be asking, why? Why take a gun into the classroom? Those parents send those kids to school expecting that they're going to be kept safe. Right now, that's on the teachers. It's my job. They're, they look to me as the person who's going to keep them safe. Surprisingly straight up for MSDNC. Well, the queen of fucking gun control, Shannon Watts, this was an interview with a male educator. 77% of U.S. teachers are women, and the vast majority don't want to be armed. Most police also oppose arming pizza. Teachers. Data shows arming teachers stops gun violence. It does show stronger gun laws stop gun violence. That's what she says. I'm not sure what you were watching, Miss Watts, but the only report on MSDNC today about teachers training to carry firearms show a number of female teachers in the class and probably feature an interview with a female teacher. Here's the segment. The same is true of my own report on training for teachers in Colorado. Whatever you think of the issue of Army teachers, the teachers who want to be armed deserve to have their voice heard. It's helpful to hear what their motivations are and how they respond to critics of arming teachers. The woman they interviewed, Ms. Katoski, does not say she wants to be armed. In fact, she expresses concern of being expected to shoot a student gunman. The male teacher at the end says he wants to be armed. And she argues and argues. It goes on and on and on. And I will bet you money MSDNC will never do it again. Because you can't put out facts. I mean, the NRA puts out facts about women and guns. There's a lot of women with guns. They want guns. They want to defend themselves. They have every right in the fucking world to do it. And they have every right in the world to hunt. But this Nazi fucking fascist... All the shit they called conservatives, that's what they are on climate change, on gay and LGBT issues, and specifically guns. Need proof? Hunter says she gets death threats for pics with dead animals despite using meat to feed family. Not everyone is a fan of this mom's lifestyle, which, by the way, there's a picture. She's hot as fuck. Hopefully my wife didn't hear that. She's really hot. A mother of three from New Zealand claims she has faced death threats for sharing pictures of her hunting trips, which often show her carrying an animal carcass following a hunt. However, the woman, 29, says she and her family eat the animals they hunt because they're opposed to eating meat from a factory farm. Lucy Rose Jane first started hunting when she met her partner, The Sun Reports. Since then, she's fallen in love with the outdoors. She and her family go hunting about five to eight times per month. They mainly hunt wild pigs, which is delicious, but they also hunt deer, goats, wallabies, and other animals. She uses the animals that she kills to feed her family, explaining what she prefers not to rely on factory farm meat. I like that we can teach our children how to hunt their own food. She explained that hunting wild meat is ideal, organic, and sustainable, and that's said that, in contrast with animals being raised at factory farms, animals she hunts are living a good life. She and her family mainly hunt pigs, which also helps local farmers deal with their pig problem. It's free, it's fun, and it helps the farmers. Jane typically shares pictures of hunting trips on Instagram, where she says she receives support from outdoor enthusiasm. All Unfortunately, that's not all she receives. I've had a few death threats from people who just don't have any experience with hunting, or maybe they are against animal cruelty, but I don't take it to heart. I just will tell myself, that person must be going through something in their own life and 
can't judge what I don't understand. We make sure we respect the animal in the process. Critics also seem to take issue with the photograph Jane posts, which after showing carrying her kills after a successful hunt. Imagine posing with the animals you just slaughtered, one commenter wrote. Please, can someone do this to her children? Can somebody please do this to her children? Nothing funny about posing with dead animals. This is why you receive hate. The kill shots, there's just no need for them. And perhaps they'll go running to the papers crying about it too. Jane, meanwhile, said she simply tries to turn the other cheek. Some guy just said, I hope you die. I obviously didn't respond. I hope he finds happiness. Be kind. Everyone on this earth, especially doing their best. That's the gun crowd. That's them in a nutshell. They're against violence of all types, but they can tell people, I hope you die, and I hope this happens to your kids. Yeah, that's just fucking fantastic. To some odds and ends, and we'll go to a music break coming into impeachment. New York Times accuses FedEx of not paying taxes. New York Times accused FedEx on Sunday of essentially having lobbied President Trump to sign tax cuts into law with the promise of business using the same money to reinvest the future, blah, 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 blah. In 2017 fiscal year, FedEx owed more than $1.5 billion in taxes. The next year, it owed nothing. What changed was Trump administration tax cut, for which the company had lobbied hard. The public face of its lobbying effort, which included tax approval zone, was FedEx founder-in-chief Frederick Smith, who repeatedly took it to the airwaves and championed power of tax cut. Four months later, Trump signed into law, blah, 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 blah. But it did not increase investments in new equipment and other assets the fiscal year that followed. As Mr. Smith said, business like this would. The Times said nearly two years after tax law passed, the windfall to corporations like FedEx is becoming clear. A New York Times analyst of data compiled by Capital IQ shows no statistically meaningful relationship between the size of the tax cut the companies and industries received and the investment they made. Though he responded to the New York Times, calling it factually incorrect, are we surprised, <clears throat> claiming that the New York Times is the company that does not pay federal taxes. The New York Times published a distorted and factually incorrect story on the front page of the Sunday, November 17th edition concerning FedEx and our billions of dollars of tax payments and billions of dollars of investment in the U.S. economy. Pertinent to this outrageous distortion of the truth is the fact that, unlike FedEx, the New York Times paid zero federal tax income in 2017 on earnings of $111 million and only $30 million in 2018, 18% of their pre-tax book income. Also in 2018, the New York Times cut their capital investment nearly in half to $57 million, which, requ- which equates to rounding error when compared to the $6 billion of capital that FedEx invested in the U.S. economy during the same year. I hereby challenge A.J. Solzberger, published the New York Times and the business section editor to public debate in Washington, D.C. with me and the FedEx corporate vice president of tax. The focus of the debate should be federal tax policy and the relative societal benefits of business investments and the enormous intended benefit to the United States economy, especially lower and middle class wage earners. I mean, that is amazing. That is just amazing. I mean, Seriously. They don't pay any taxes. And what do they invest in society? What? What does the New York Times do? Dissent. That's all they do. America sucks. Running shitty fucking stories on July 4th about how fucked up America is. They hate this country. They're laying people off. 
And the same, same, sorry for blowing my nose, but the same tax credits that FedEx gets and other companies are the same ones they're getting. That's how, that's the left. That just sums up the left in a nutshell. You put it in a nutshell, the New York Times in the center. They're fucking hypocrites. Immigration jail and Trump era are packed, but deportations are fewer than in Obama's. Just wanted to read that. Everybody talking how bad he is. He doesn't do it that bad. Dylan Byers, Scoop, the Democratic National Committee and Politico are locked in an argument over the ideological credits of Tim Alberta, a proposed moderator for next month's Democratic debate. Sources familiar with the matter told NBC. At the behest of its publisher, Robert Albertan, Politico is pu- pushing for Tim Alberta, chief political correspondent for Politico magazine, to join journalists from PBS NewsHour at the moderator's desk to top PBS journalists under considered are Judy Woodruff, Yamichi Alcinder, and Amaz Nazwaz, all liberals. Politico decision to push for Alberta as ranked officials at the DNC as well as many journalists at PBS and even Politico, the source said. The reason Alberta previously wrote for the National Review, a conservative magazine, and has spent the bulk of his recent career chronicling the Republican Party. Red State sums it up. Can't have candidates being challenged by moderators. I mean, these this is the party that stole a nomination from Bernie Sanders and got pre-questions from CNN. So that's the debates they want. That's what they want. Then I only got a little climate today, and here's some protesters. I know, a snippet, because it got shut down. Currently inside Speaker Pelosi's office, about a dozen protesters have taken over a lobby and say they plan on doing a hunger strike for at least a week, for those asking. They're doing a hunger strike for failed action on climate change. According to them, there are about four or five more people outside that can't fit in. Somebody jokingly said, if they can do a five-minute laptop smartphone strike, then I'll be impressed. And that is the fact. Those are those sunrise fucking movement dick faces. New York Times editor says Trump has put his reporters' lives at risk. This is a late edition, or else I want to put it with the New York Times. Dean Bequette decries abusive journalists and defends not calling President racist. Social media, Amazon deliver company published liberal our position manifesto. It's skeptical needs any more evidence than big tech is literally liberally biased. Amazon delivered in a big way. Amazon published a policy list to provide customers, investors, policymakers, employees, and others our views on certain issues. The manifesto read, though it tried to claim shortly thereafter that there is much room for health debate and differing opinions, we'll see about that. Founder and CEO of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, also conveniently owns a liberal Washington Post who unveiled his melodramatic motto, democracy dies in the dark. Of course, Amazon, not much unlike the Washington Post, had to harp on one of liberals' biggest myths, climate change, in this section. Human-induced climate change is real serious action and needed from the public and private sector. We strongly support the rights of immigrants and immigrations. It is a laundry list of liberal bullshit. Diversity and inclusion are good for business and more fundamentally simply right. The federal minimum wage needs to be $15 because I can just raise your goddamn taxes or prices when you go to Amazon. Why does a company that thrives, I mean, is the most successful company in a capitalist society, why do they need to put out social media shit? Why? I I don't know. 
And then before the break, we won't go into uh, impeachment. We're going to come back. I, I got a good Google one. I forgot. I got to go into this Google more deep than just talking about it. Facebook removed 11.4 million pieces of hate speech in six months. A study on that, it's all conservative. So, once again, liberals can say you're a fucking cocksucker piece of shit. Go kill yourself, and I hope your kids get hauled around like a dead pig. That's okie dokie. But you can't say anything about, hey, climate change is bullshit. Those are that's hate speech, dude. So we're gonna go out with a, a montage. This was um, more stupid. What did I put down for this? I wrote it down. I'm sorry. Two sound bites. Of, uh, it was a Trump rally and some protesters basically at a college beating the fuck and accosting and trashing a table once again because the tolerant left is so nonviolence. I mean, these people are for kumbayaism. We're going to do the Dukes of fucking Hazard theme song because it got stuck in my head the other day. And then we're going to come back in to Google. First of all, you're a freshman. You have common sense. You got into the school. But obviously you're dumb as fuck. I can't talk if you're on the screen. Uh, you want to one at a time then? Oh, I, I didn't touch Back it up! Back it up! Back it up! 
Why are you shaking? Why are you shaking? Steady yourself. Steady yourself. Why are you shaking? Stop shaking. You're fucking pussy. Stop shaking. It's cold. Stop shaking. Put on a fucking jacket. Why are you shaking? Smile more. Smile more. With the teeth. Teeth. No justice. No peace. Oh, he has a problem. No justice. No peace. No racist. Police. No justice. No peace. No racist police. No justice. No peace. Shut the fuck up. Police. Shut up. No justice. No peace. No racist police. 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 No justice. No peace. Just a good old boy, never meaning no harm. Beats all you never saw. Been in trouble with the law since the day they was born. Straightening the curves, flattening the hills. Someday the mountain might get up, but the law never will. Making their way.
You know my mama loved me But she don't understand They keep her showing my hands And not my face on TV <laughs> Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reese. Straightening the curves, flattening the hills. Someday the mountain might get them, but the law never will. I don't know why that got in my head. I don't watch Dick's Anderson anymore. I did as a kid, but that's, uh, I woke up and it was in my head. I wanted to get it out. All right, this one's pretty. Um, self-explanatory. We've had about ten of these, but I always get excited because you, everybody who's been with the show a long time, I fucking hate Google. You know, it's kind of like um, I my phone just turned on because I said the word sound. I I guess hate and hey sound the same. Um, Amazon, I would walk the fuck away from because I hate Jeff Bezos and that fucking manifesto pisses me off. But I'm addicted to Amazon. It is easier. You do save a lot of money. So that's one of those ones you just go, okay, fuck it. I'll suck it up. I'll, I'll fucking use these jackasses. Google, man, you can't get away from Google. You just can't. If you wanted to, you try, but they own everything. I mean, it is a monopoly that they benefited from the very capitalism that they hate. They just do. And their bent is so bad. We played sound bites from meetings, documents. I mean, it's nonstop. But here was an investigation finds Google blacklist sites from results. Google makes many claims about a search engine. The results are not curated. They are not manipulated. And there's no blacklist. However, none of the statements are true according to extensive investigation from the Wall Street Journal. Not the Daily Wire. Not Project Veritas. It appears Google Google keeps blacklists. The engineer manually make algorithm algorithmic algorithmic goddamn. Why can't I say that word today? Including making behind the scene adjustments to results on the search pages. And Google boosts some major websites over other small websites. Remember, we just had one by conservative outlet that said the very same thing. That's why you only get CNN. MSDNC, WAPO, New York Times. Um, <clears throat> some major words on other mo- small website. The journal writes that these actions have increased sharply since the 2016 election. Google made 3,200 changes to its algorithm in 2018, an increase of 520 from 2010. Engineers change all the other parts of Google search results regularly, including knowledge panels, feature snippets, and news results. Admittingly, these are not part of the, ser- the basic search result algorithm, but they affect search results all the same. Sorry, I had to move my mic. I couldn't read the damn article. Google also keeps blacklist reports reported the journal, which in the United States includes sites that feature child abuse or spam. Well, that's fine. But the company would never publicly admit this 
to this. In fact, Google spokesperson told the journal, we do today what we have done all along, provide relevant results to the most reliable source available. There is a blacklist of terms from autocomplete function that initially simply left out terms that related to pornography. The current list of terms is not known. While organic Google searches allow some sites to show up, some conservative right-wing websites, including the Gateway Pundit and the United West, were included on a list of hundreds of websites that wouldn't appear in news or featured products, although they could appear in organic search results if you actually put it down like if you want to search something on the daily wire you can get it but you have to put daily wire in it and but you're also going to get wapo i mean i just searched for corner shot weapon i got dan crenshaw and aoc argument and how dan crenshaw is a communist piece of shit that was the first result on corner shot gun Google boosts Amazon and Facebook, claim the journal, and favor bigger businesses over small ones. An unnamed former executive of Fortune 500 company told the journal that their former company was told by Google that the company frequently adjusts how it crawls the web and rank pages to deal with specific big websites. The former executive said there's this idea that the search algorithm is all neutral and goes out and combs the web and comes back and shows what it found. And that's total BS. The journal went on to tell the story of how Dealcatcher, a website for consumers, was caught in an algorithm change that brought its traffic from 31,000 visitors to 2,400. When Breitbart released a video of Google executives in 2016 that showed them upset over President Trump's election, Google buried the results on the 12th page of the search result, reported the journal. Additionally, when the journal searched for abortion, 39% of the results came from Planned Parenthood. This was higher than the results from DuckDuckGo and Bing, which were 16% and 14%. Because DuckDuckGo and Bing don't liberally jerk off on their search rhythm. I mean, don't get me wrong, Microsoft's a liberal fucking piece of shit, but the only thing they get from being straight up is more hits. Because people go to Bing more than they go to Google if you're super conservative. Christian Grind, Google, the gatekeeper of Internet, wants you to believe its algorithms are autonomous and objective. They're not. This is the actual author. Read our year-long investigation. The company states in a Google blog, we do not use human curation to collect or arrange results on a page. It says it can divulge details about how the algorithms work because the company is involved in a long-running and high-stakes battle with those who want to profit by gaming the system. But that message often clashes with what happens behind the scenes. Over time, Google has increasingly re-engineered and interfered with search results to a far greater degree than the company and executives acknowledge and Wall Street Journal investigation has found. Google's under constant pressure from powerful interest groups, big advertisers, and governments around the world to change results, and it sometimes does. More so since the election. Internally, Sergey Brin and Larry Page have themselves disagreed on how much to intervene, read through for a key bathroom scene, and employees are always lobbying for changes on, you guessed it, the message boards. We tested a bunch of search terms for hot-button issues like abortion and politicians like Donald Trump, the difference in what Google shows, especially in autocomplete, are clear. And yes, Google uses blacklist, we found, far more than has been reported. It just doesn't disclose it. That's the main problem. It doesn't disclose how it's making any of these changes. Gaslighting for Google. News editor trashes Wall Street Journal expose. It's all just a conspiracy. News editor trashes the Wall Street Journal for exposure of Google bias. Search engine land new editor Barry Schwartz wrote an article misquoted and misunderstood why we, the search community, don't believe what Wall Street Journal found out about Google search. 
The expose, how Google interferes with search algorithm, change the results, alleged the well, we're now that. Schwartz was aghast of the journal's subtitle. The internet giant uses blacklist algorithm tweaks and army of contractors to shape what you see and condemned it as showing a lack of understanding. One example of this action was when Google whistleblower Zachary Voorhees leaked documents about how newsbusters were revealed on a blacklist, along with other conservative website, MRC TV, Twitchy, Conservative Tribune, Front Page Mag, Daily Caller, Daily Wire. Also, YouTube, owned by Google, uses a controversial query blacklist and the Twiddler system to boost or de-boost various results. And the rigging of information has used implications, too, because according to a recent survey covered by Common Sense Media, more than half of teens, 54%, get news at least a few times a week from social media platforms, such as Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and 50% get it from YouTube. Yet despite examples of Google's penchant for blacklisting, Schwartz wrote, I have never seen evidence of Google ever doing this. I've read all the conspiracies. None have ever fully proved that this is the case, and papers evidence of being true, hinging on anonymous sources, blah, blah, blah. Blah. They know what they're doing. We played it. Their plan is to push the electorate. It's already been proven they can push the electorate 10 fucking points. And anybody out there who actually defends Google, what they're doing, and says they're not a liberal shell, and then they're not finger-fucking the goddamn search results, you're smoking crack just search anything normal and all you see is liberal results when you search anything anti-democrat you get articles from wapo cnn and msdnc saying it about trump i mean just do a search on in 2012 did obama put kids in cages you're going to get trump articles he puts kids in cages. We've never done that. It's against our Constitution. Blah, 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 blah. And on page five, you'll find one article. It's true. Obama put kids in cages. That's how they run it. Why is it such a big deal, conservatives? Well, everything is Google now. Every phone that's Android pushes that. As I've talked on the show ad nauseum, Articles, if you let your fucking card stay open, they are just going to push WAPO, New York Times, and CNN, Trump's the devil. From now to election season, I will tell you, on this show, my cards are shut off. I'm going to get articles. I'm going to get news. They're already trying on the Chrome app. When you go in there and you just open a tab, it has news. Some of it's what I am interested in, but there's always articles, Trump's the devil, conservatives are the devil, abortion is good, it's all brainwashing, that's what it is. So, we talked about Twitter and their banning political ads, but makes exception for cause-based ads, it happened. Uh, after Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey announced that all political ads would be banned for the platform, but the left and the right were concerned about their ads, Democratic candidate Elizabeth Warren had a problem with Twitter allowing corporate ads, but not ads about climate change. Dorsey and Twitter team took the complaint into consideration. The ad ban, which initially included all issue ads, now allows cause-based ads to run under certain circumstances, which means live action is blocked, Planned Parenthood's not blocked. It's it's what we said was going to happen. We, we just knew it. So, there you go. 
Let's go into impeachment. Let's just get the ugly off off the top. Here, here's the media. I mean, I, I got some counter stuff for this because I really I don't understand. Uh, but to make this soundbite make sense, Pelosi and company, at the behest of what we've been playing on the show, that they need to weave a tapestry, and um, they got to make it. So the American people can understand it. And saying quid pro quo, you know, there's a lot of stupid fucking people between the coasts. You know, we're just idiots. We don't know what that means. So bribery is better. And then she does it. And the Nets mention it 43 fucking times. But this soundbite is summing up whining. Uh, guess literally saying this is going to go down to just like... I didn't have sex with that woman. I mean, literally, that, that's what they, they said. Uh, Chuck Todd, it's because they're going and listening to Fox. A lot of Fox batching. Uh, but understand, 95% of the country is not even paying attention to this. Because we think it's what it is. It's just another Russia gate. So we're not paying attention to it. I mean, we were on Channel 4 News the other day because we watched the morning weather. And we were flipping the shows on our DVR. And I finally told the wife, change it. Change the channel, then you can go fuck around with the TV. And I said, I don't want to hear any of this. I just, I'm done. It's all bullshit. This is how the system works. This is how we make the sausage and foreign policy. It's a nothing burger. You can guarantee Obama, Bush, Clinton, all the way back to fucking Carter. They use foreign countries to get information about their fucking candidate or their opposition. And they held money hostage for all sorts of reasons that had nothing to do with the reason why we were given that money. But our media, yeah, they're playing like this is this is the end of days. Part of me is wondering to what extent facts do matter uh, anymore in our public uh, debates. A strong fact pattern is laid out there. We've seen a majority of Americans believe that this inquiry should go forward, an investigation should go forward, close to 50 percent saying it should lead to the president's removal from office. But one of the things we've also seen in recent weeks as, as even some Republicans shift on their standard here and the Democrats harden up along their party lines is the public taking cues from their leaders rather than the other way around. That's a great point. And I think at some point, evidence will matter if there's enough of it on, on either side. But what you touch on is what I've felt in there, uh, not just a partisan divide, but a cultural divide, the cultural divide, which is based on, on the fundamental political fact of our time, Donald Trump and his version of American populism. You could see it and sense it in the personalities and the demeanors and the styles of questioning of the members themselves. You know, the Democrats brought forward these witnesses paragons, really, of the American establishment, of the institutions and the values which have carried the country forward at home and around the world for decades. Uh, and Adam Schiff at the end spoke about the future of the presidency, that institution, and what essentially allowing this conduct to be okay, to not impeach on the basis of it, would mean for the presidency. Well, for millions of Americans, many of them voted for Republicans, they've lost trust in those institutions. And and you, you hear and sense an anti-institutional, uh, you know, the person that they trust is Donald Trump, and he's a person, uh, and he is trumping the institutional values uh, that are being championed in there. That's what that divide is, and I don't see it budging. 
And meantime, we got a new poll come out just right now that's showing that 70 percent of the public believes what the president did with Ukraine was wrong. A slim majority, 51 percent, uh, say that they will now support impeaching and removing President Trump from office. But one of the big questions going forward is going to be, uh, will these hearings make a difference? Will they change people's minds about impeachment right now? Well, our poll also shows that 21 percent of of Americans have made up their minds after the first week of testimony. That suggests uh, that they were already locked in or that really the testimony they've heard is enough. But that's a big percentage who still have to make up their minds. And 70 percent saying the president did something wrong. The president keeps saying the call was perfect. He did nothing wrong. Our poll suggests that may go down in history along with I did not have sex with that woman as a very ineffective presidential defense. Hallmark of another impeachment. But, Mr. Say, we have not seen the president in public since the Saturday physical, and there were several unusual aspects of this visit. Uh, yeah, George, exactly. The last two physicals for this president were announced in advance. It is very unusual to have a president have a physical uh, performed in various stages, like President Trump says he's having for this one. They're also not usually done months ahead of schedule. That's unusual. And a presidential visit to a hospital requires ex- extra security, usually. Of course, all of this coming at a very crucial time for this White House in the middle of this impeachment inquiry. And, of course, with a president who's got an uncomfortable relationship, shall we say, with the truth, George, there for all of this speculation running. And, uh, Republicans frequently assert, Nora, to the country that there's something improper or inf- unfair about this process. And they've also asserted that until today there have been no direct fact witnesses. So what I was expecting today, and I think what the country could have fairly expected, would have been some kind of line of questioning from the Republicans to undermine or at least cast some doubt on this firsthand direct knowledge fact witness testimony. The country did not see that at all. It saw in the opening statement of the ranking Republican, Devin Nunes, a hatchet attack on the American media, saying the American media is partly responsible, a tool of the Democratic Party, just an echo chamber of a false narrative. We had plenty of time to ask these witnesses relevant questions about their direct knowledge of the phone call, what they had heard before it, its consistency or inconsistency with U.S. policy. None of that was there at all. Then when the questioning came from the Republican counsel, Much of it was procedural about what you knew about a trip or something else. So it just strikes me that in all of their repetitive calling for direct fact witnesses, when two of them appear, their line of questioning and line of commentary about this deals with the media and other issues, not the testimony presented or the narrative put together by the ranking Democrat, Adam Schiff, saying that this all lines up consistent with the whistleblower testimony. I'm sort of... Has the case in many ways been made? And if so, what's this all about? The question is whether they have made the case that it hits this extraordinarily high bar that says, you know what, disqualifying him from even being able to seek re-election, right? That, that continues to be the bar they have to hit. This is not a court of law. The rules of evidence don't apply. But one thing is similar. You have Democrats who need to um, weave a compelling tale of wrongdoing. And they have to keep it tight and simple and understandable and compelling, as mentioned. Mm -hmm. We're learning now that uh, Speaker Pelosi sent a letter to her colleagues about changing the language Mm -hmm. that they use to describe this. Talk about abuse of power. Exactly. Uh, You will hear sharper terms used by the Democratic lawmakers. They know this is about winning the court of public opinion to convince the public that this impeachment inquiry was worth this is a reminder of the literally the two alternative realities that I think the country views. If you spend a lot of time on the president's favorite cable channel, you follow that questioning really closely. 
This is the center of the argument is about the deep state, about the whistleblower, about these things. If you don't follow that, you're probably really confused about the line of questioning because it is just bizarre at some point, some of the, the, the places that they went with it. So it is a reminder, some of this questioning that you're hearing, if you don't spend a lot of time on the president's favorite caper channel, you, you almost have no idea of this narrative that they're trying to weave, which makes it, and there were times that even you could tell the witnesses are confused. What we saw Devin Nunes do was to try to take this Ukraine question down as many unrelated, in some cases, conspiratorial rabbit holes. You have to make the case that you cannot trust him to hold his office and have this, right? That is the case. If they're going to make it a case for removal, that's the case you have to exactly. make. The main Republican argument by those who even concede that the president has misstepped here is that let the voters decide. And this is the argument that the voters can't decide because it won't so, be Andrew, a fair would you fight. Be have Democrats taken into account that this is a president who has a different set of rules in many ways? He, he's done a lot of things that have shocked and, and surprise people. He's conditioned 30 to 40 percent of the country to essentially whatever you hear, it's not what you think. We are living in a moment where we have a part of one of our major political parties that is is just not accepting the premise, is just not accepting facts that are facts. At some point, when is this? And I hear what you're saying. When is enough too much? When, when, it, when is it that we sit here and the president gets judged on a different it's like he's getting, wow, geez, don't, don't, uh, the president, he doesn't understand the rules of Washington, or he doesn't understand the rules of diplomacy. At some point, the American public has to decide whether it's an impeachment vote or a vote in the Senate or not. It's a question then for the voters. But we as, as journalists have to not keep holding him. To if you are only hearing what Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity are telling you about impeachment, then you think the Democrats are an evil bunch of, uh, of, of, of troublemakers who are trying to hurt and destroy the country. That is the message hour after hour from these top-rated shows, and it absolutely affects both the president's mindset, because he then reflects back what he hears, and it impacts what GOP voters are thinking. And ultimately, that then impacts the Republican senators. They're going to have to make a vote on this. But are the, the facts breaking through and they're just spinning them, or are, are <laughs> they just disregarding the facts altogether? I, I think they're operating in a, in a, in a alternative universe where uh, the damaging information that comes out during these hearings is discarded and, uh, and, and blamed on a rogue elements or things like that, or, or what they say is the deep state. Uh, it is this um, echo chamber that is getting stronger and stronger uh, that I think uh, the, these Fox personalities are inside. And ultimately, it, it hurts all of us because it, it makes it impossible to have a, a debate about the facts, the substance that's at mm -hmm. stake. When they are saying these hearings are boring and bogus, they're ignoring the constitutional issues at play. Uh, but this has been very effective. I, I have to say Hannity's ratings were very high this week. Uh, not as high as the hearings overall. Most, you know, I think most people did hear something about the testimony, uh, whether they soaked it up through their social media feeds, mm -hmm. etc. But Hannity is 1,000% is behind President Trump. So are these other players uh, in the right-wing media universe. They're showing no signs of being concerned so far. God damn, man. They're nothing but persistent, are they not? Um, part of that was Representative I don't think I played it. Did I play it? This one's this one's pretty good too. Let me see something real quick. Titus, 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 Tate. Let's listen to this jackass. Here's another soundbite. Um, the first step of winning. It's the first step to getting this con on ourselves out of the White House. You know, frankly, I think the House is going to do it, and I'd like to impeach the bastard right now. This is a Democratic representative, and we are no longer worrying about the respecting the office of the President of the United States. 
You have heard me say how many times this is the most important election of your lifetime. Well, this time I really, really, really mean it because it is the heart and soul of our nation are on the ballot. And it's going to be up to you all. That's why our caucus is so important. It's the first step to getting this con artist out of the White House. You know, frankly, I think the House is going to do it, and I'd like to impeach the bastard right now, but, you know. You know, I, I once again, I, I have no hypocrisy when I say this. That's fucked up. All right? And it's fucked up because you expect us to worship your presidents. We, we have to worship them. And when we don't, it's your sexist, racist, trans, home, fucking, all these other new things you come up with. And I just, once again, don't understand that every time there's a Republican president, this is what we go through. I mean, go back to Bush, how stupid he is, how inarticulate people portrayed him as a monkey. Obama comes in, you even point out he can't do it, they go crazy, and you're a racist. I mean, it's just this revolving door of stupid. And if we're going to respect the office because it's the office, then we need to respect the office. But since November 9, 2016, you've never respected the office. And i got to be quite honest, when the Democrat wins, which they probably will in 2020, I'll be playing on this podcast, I can you believe this Republican said this? Or this uh, Sean Hannity, or Rush Limbaugh, or personality... It'll be off limits again. Kelly Cassanda says it just like I said it. Is this going to be the new norm from now on? With each new president, people just say vile things and decide to overthrow the results or impeach? This can't be where we're headed henceforth. It is. Democrats know their only chance to take back the White House is 2020 and his impeachment. They have zero chance to beat him at the ballot box. I don't believe that wholeheartedly. But I know the more you start getting into the numbers, they must be scared. And here's another one of them. Leak focus group results reveal Democrats' impeachment message plan, weak legal case. As political observers noticed this week, the Democrats have a new message strategy and their impeachment inquiry, and they accuse them of bribery now. The shift came after focus group in battleground states by the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, or the DCCC, showed that voters were less receptive to the Latin term quid pro quo. That to charge of a bribery. The latter, according to a source familiar with the focus group results, is likelier to persuade swing voters. It's probably best not to use Latin words. As the Washington Post points out, House Intelligence Committee member Jim Hines was the first to announce Democrat intention to retire quid pro quo during an appearance on Meet the Press. It's probably best not to use Latin words. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi subsequently began accusing Trump of bribery during the press conference on Thursday, talking Latin around here, e pluribus umen for many one, quid pro quo bribery, and this is in the Constitution attached to impeachment proceedings. As Pelosi noted, a likely reason why Democrats replace quid pro quo with bribery is that the latter is one of the only two crimes cited in the Constitution. However, the Post also noted that even Hines recognized that while bribery may seem politically useful for the Democrats, it may be imprecise to describe the allegation. Abuse of power is not necessarily a concept that most Americans run around thinking about. In this case, the abuse of power was some combination of bribery and extortion. It's also unclear what Democrats 
argue, argue is the alleged bribe in question since Democrats do not have any witnesses with direct knowledge. They're trying to see what sticks. Republicans are quick to point out the change in messaging underscores the Democrats do not have a compelling legal case. They're trying a different narrative to see what works. Quid pro quo was squashed. If it wasn't, they would still be saying it, right? Further bolstering the argument that Democrats do not intend on making a serious legal argument as former federal prosecutor Andrew McCarthy has argued is the fact that Democrats can accuse a president of bribery without having to prove he actually broke the law. It's not a bribery prosecution in a judicial court. This is impeachment in which there is no burden of proof a quid pro quo beyond a reasonable doubt. The House is not required to establish a felony offense such as extortion or bribery. And not shown in your media... New remarks from top Ukrainian official damages Democrats' impeachment narrative. Mike and Codre, Michael Cordray, bombshell leaked documents from the Ukrainian general prosecutor's office to indicate complex money transfer for foreign sources in the control of a slush fund owned and operated by Devon Archer, John Kerry, John Kerry Jr., Heinz Jr., and Hunter Biden. Once again. If we really got into the facts, and that's why they put it behind closed doors, Democrats are more culpable than Trump is for a phone call. Byron York, new, Democrats don't want the public to know origins of Ukraine probe like they didn't want the public to know the origins of the Russian probe. Democrats do not want the public to know, and in that, their position is familiar to anyone who's watched Washington for the last two years. Democrat determination to cut off questions about the origins of the Trump-Ukrainian investigation is strikingly similar to the determination to cut off questions about the origins of the Trump-Russian investigation. In both cases, they fought hard to keep secrets the origin of the investigation that have shaken the nation, deeply divided in the and affected the future of the presidency. From their POV, it makes sense. Democrats were rattled by Republican effort to uncover the origins of the Trump-Russia investigation, the Steele dossier, the use of spies and informants to target the Trump campaign, the Carter Page wiretap, the murky start to the crossfire hurricane investigation. Democrats resisted GOP attempts to reveal them all, but in 18 and 17, Republicans controlled the House. Then Chairman Devin Nunes used the power of the House intelligence community to give it out. Nunes' efforts eventually led to the Justice Department Inspector General investigation, whose results expecting in the coming weeks could further damage the Democratic Trump-Russia storyline. And then there is an ongoing criminal thing by John Durham. And within that, they literally show a pile of shit against Mr. Smirk. And his lover. Byron York continues a pattern. Impeachment disposition transcripts show Democrats do not want the public to know. In both cases, Trump-Russia and now Trump-Ukraine, Democrats are trying to hide it from the American people because we already know it. They were over there in force in 2016 digging up Trump dirt. And that's the very reason that they did Russia, Russia, Russia. Sean Davis, Nunes on three years of media Democrat lies about their coup effort. The media, of course, are free to act as Democrat puppets, and they're free to lurch from Russia hoax to Ukraine host at the direction of their puppet masters. And then you have Vindman. Breaking, NSC attempted to remove Alex Vindman due to security concerns, but were blocked by Obama holdover. An official in the White House who still controls human resource management inside the NSC, an African-American woman closely tied to the Obama family. And then the motherfucker had the balls to do this. Mr. Vindman 
You testified in your deposition that you did not know the whistleblower. Uh, Ranking member, it's uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman, please. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman, you testified in the deposition that you did not know the, who the whistleblower was. Or is. I do not know who the whistleblower is. That is well, how is it possible? No Republican has tried, even attempted, to poke a hole in that fundamental question, why we are all here, why these hearings are taking place. What Republicans did instead is question the credibility of the witness, question the story, repeat conspiracy theories that have been debunked by the intelligence community. What they're trying to do is hold the Republicans in line by raising questions about judgment, about loyalty, about maybe political motivations, or were you leaking? Uh, it's all a sideshow, but it's an important sideshow politically. I think the really offensive one here to me was the idea of who are you to tell us this information, Vindman? They question why he had the audacity to want his name to be referred to as Lieutenant Colonel as opposed to Mr. Who do you think you are? You had the audacity to wear your actual uniform in this courtroom, in this congressional hearing room? You know a little bit about uh, mean tweets from President Trump and the White House. And so, <laughs> just so I, I want, without going into your entire history, we, we heard... Um, uh, Ambassador Ivanovich last week say in real time that she found President Trump's tweet intimidating. Mm -hmm. Republicans have said that mean tweets cannot be intimidating. It's just mean tweets. Who cares? Having been on the other end of it, having been on the end of, of, a, of a negative campaign coming from President Trump, coming from the White House, what is it like? Is it intimidating? And, and, and uh, what do you say to people who say it's just a negative tweet? Who cares? Well, first of all, nobody says that to you because that's not what it is. Um, it's actually horrifying. But it bears repeating that... <laughs> A Republican White House, any White House, okay, let's just say that, but especially a Republican White House uses a taxpayer-funded Twitter account to attack a man in uniform who has shrapnel in his body after getting uh, injured uh, by a roadside bomb while serving this country in a war zone is, is just mind-blowing. I mean, again, this is one of those things where it's like, okay, this is what the Trump White House does. This is what the president sanctions. On the political side, that just shows he's a partisan, okay? A partisan. Within this hearing, Democrats called him Mr. Vinden. He didn't say anything. But when Devin Nunes did it, he corrects him. John Gabriel does the military side. All arrested people rolled their eyes. We've all had to report to this guy. Even officers rolled their eyes at this guy. A good many officers as well. Trust me, this is Frank Burns level from MASH. Had a lieutenant or a sub like this, a senior officer would regularly humiliate him in front of list and take him down a notch. No one likes these guys. All veterans in my missions of agreed 25 percent non-vet my mentions how dare you disrespect military protocol you found out he's a rotsy of course he's rotsy i was an officer and i rolled my eye. these are multiple people one rank isn't an honorific it's a job scolding civilians for not referring to you by your rank is the opposite of what the job entails also scolding a congress member is pretty bad form since they are elected officials in the military subordinate to elected government specifically the president i spent a good amount of time on the hill and i've never seen an officer do this officers expecting civilians to address them by their title are wrong notice that when representative maloney called him mr vindman that he was silent in the constitutional order members of congress outrank members of the military regardless is perfectly acceptable for nunes to refer to vindman as mr vindman just as it was for general several years ago to refer to barbara boxer as ma'am and her to go crazy on it another guy let's say i was still on active duty 
If I would have saluted him outside and said, good morning, sir, and he acknowledged, no big deal, we would carry on with our lives. If he would start yelling at me for not calling him actual title, then he's a dick. No questions asked. And that's what he would do. Because he is a dick. The guy's a fucking partisan hack. That's who he is. It's what we thought he was. And in the words of that Denny Green, man, we knew what they are. You want to crown them? You crown them. We know it. <clears throat> There's also proof he's been working with Biden for, Biden for a long time, and he is the leaker. So all along, it was a partisan Democrat twat named Vidman, who was a soldier that was ratting shit out, secondhand knowledge on the president. Vidman. So, here's Representative Jordan just breaking this shit down. And then we're going to go into um, <clears throat> military corner. Uh, Colonel Vindman, um, why didn't you go, after the call, why didn't you go to uh, Mr. Morrison? I went immediately per the, uh, per the instructions from the July 10th uh, incident. I met, went immediately to um, Mr. Eisenberg. After that... Once I made that, uh, my, uh, expressed my concerns, it was an extremely busy week. We had a, a PCC just finish, we had the call, and then we had a deputies meeting, which consumed all of my time. I was working extremely long days. I attempted to try to communicate. To, uh, I, I, I managed to speak to two folks in the interagency. I attempted to try to talk to Mr. Morrison. That didn't happen before I received instructions from uh, John Eisenberg to not talk to anybody else any further. So the lawyer, you not only didn't go to your boss, you said you tried, but you didn't go to your boss. You went straight to the lawyer, and the lawyer told you not to go to your boss? He, no, he didn't tell me until uh, uh, what ended up unfolding is I had the conversation with the attorney. I did my coordination, my core function, which is coordination. I spoke to the appropriate people within the interagency. And then circling back around, Mr. Eisenberg came back to me and told me not to talk to anybody well, I'm going to read from the transcript here. Why didn't you go to your direct report, Mr. Morrison? Your response was, this page 102, because Mr. Eisenberg had told me to take my concerns to him. Then I ask you, did, did Mr. Eisenberg tell you not to report, to go around Mr. Morrison? And you said, actually, he did say that I shouldn't talk to any other people. Is that right? Yes, but there's a whole, there's a, a period of time in there between when I spoke to him and when he circled back around. It wasn't that long a period of time, but it was enough time for me to... Enough time to go to talk to someone that you won't tell us who it is, right? I, I, I've been instructed not to, um, Representative Jordan. Well, here's what I'm getting. The lawyer told you don't talk to any other people, and you interpret that as not talking to your boss, but you talk to your brother, you talk to the lawyers, you talk to Secretary Kent, and you talk to the one guy Adam Schiff won't tell you, won't let, us, uh, won't let you tell uh, us who he is. Is that right? Representative Jordan, I did my job. I'm not saying you did it. All I'm saying is you your, the instructions from the lawyer was you shouldn't talk to anybody, and you interpret that as don't talk to my boss, but I'm going to go talk to someone that we can't even ask you who that individual is. That is incorrect. Well, I just read what you said. That is I shouldn't incorrect. talk to any other people. The gentleman has expired. Yeah, there's, I'm sorry, Chairman, but yes, that sequence is not the way it played out. I I'm reading through the, the transcript, Colonel Denman. Jordan, please let Colonel yeah, Denman there, There's the sequence played out where immediately afterwards I expressed my concerns. I did my coordination function. Mr. Eisenberg circled back around, told me not to talk to anybody else. In that period of time, I did not oh, manage so to Oh, so that's to when it happened. Mr. That's Heck, when you talk with someone. Mr. Heck, 
like First Lieutenant Clint Lawrence. I had dreamed of the time where I would become a platoon leader. He was the hardest working soldier that ever worked for me. Clint was very impressive. He was always well informed. The military justice system can be manipulated. Clint was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was my job to get the guys back home safe. Clint Lawrence's version of events are a lie. It was an illegal order. When his opportunity to shine came, he shit the bed. You don't have a clue who my son is. I was the army scapegoat. Was this someone who sought to do what was right, or is this someone who just disregarded procedures? Uh, that trailer was for Leavenworth, which we'll talk about in a second. But I, I want to hit the Vinman one more time. What he just laid out himself shows he's a partisan. He's out to get the president. And the reason why I get butthurt about it, for all you haters, I'd be the same way if it was against fucking Obama. Uh, soldiers, that's not their place. I served under Clinton. He was a piece of shit fucking gigantic piece of shit didn't matter you serve the president of the united states regardless and this guy will be skull dragged i will guarantee he will have to retire and won't be president trump doing it it'll be the military establishment he crossed the line the man crossed the line and you can tell he's a partisan and not a well-spoken partisan so Clint Lawrence was featured in that film, and he was, once again, pardoned by Trump. And I'll just say, this this documentary would never have happened if Clint Lawrence wasn't gay. Which is the premise of the first two or three episodes. The guy was gay, he was a hard-charging soldier, was going to get out of the army... Then Don't Ask, Go Tell got crushed. He stayed in. He went green to gold. He goes over there. And from what I got from the incident, A, his order was unlawful. There, There's never been a rule of engagement, shoot a bike. That's what he did. His defense is that he heard that the Afghans were shooting bikes. And the bikes were here. They weren't supposed to be there. They're going to blow up the bikes. He had a sniper shoot at them because they didn't stop. He then ordered a machine gun to shoot the bike. Now, within the rules of engagement, a warning shot, yeah, to prompt them to move. And if they didn't stop, then we have the right of imminent danger. So that's how he played it. It's crooked as fuck. 
But the deeper you get in this, not because people were homophobes, once again, which kind of is what the kind of what the documentary is trying to push. They didn't know he was gay. He was still not out. Something leaked on a M, uh, wives club Facebook page, greetings to your spouses, that he had taken down because he was working in headquarters and he didn't want people to know his sexuality. And so he dumped his boyfriend because he didn't want to come out regardless of what it was because he didn't want that bullshit to go along with it. So he was kind of in the closet still. It comes from a very religious family, yada, yada, yada. What I sensed more, and this could be my own bias because I literally live this. When I went into Afghanistan, I got swapped over at the last minute to 2nd Battalion from 3rd Battalion, and I went to a platoon that did not want me. Platoon leader didn't want me. Company commander didn't want me. Nobody wanted me because they already had their thing. They had a staff sergeant who was going to play platoon sergeant, and they had a lieutenant. They were buddies. They were friends. To this day, uh, I had him on the show. My LT never really liked me. He never respected me. He didn't think anything of me. He, he, only time I garnered respect is on the, you know, on the hot LZ we went into. That was it. But other than that, he hated my guts. He wanted a different platoon sergeant because he'd gotten burned by another platoon sergeant who was really a douchebag. This platoon was super tight. So, in the outlay of how this documentary went, they had a great platoon sergeant. They had a great platoon leader. The platoon leader got fucked up. He left. They were running it with a staff sergeant. The platoon sergeant, they didn't want this guy. They tried to stop him from coming. And they never accepted him because he wasn't A, infantry all along. He was, I think he was an MP. And he turned to infantry after he went green to gold. B, he wasn't a ranger. That's a big thing in 101st and, and uh, 82nd, which is what this was. If you're not a lieutenant with a ranger tab, you're a douche nozzle. That's just how they look at it. But in his career path, he wouldn't have gone to ranger school because, once again, he was prior enlisted. And they ratted him the fuck out. It was so bad by the end they had to break the platoon up because everybody thought they were Blue Falcons. When they went to the new companies, nobody liked them because in the minds of the soldiers, it's just an Afghan. Why do you fucking care? But these guys did a coup d'etat. The statements were all, I believe, rehearsed because they were identical. So identical that the company commander went to the one of the platoon sergeants or the one of the staff sergeants, squad leaders, and said, did you guys rig this? Because it just seems like it's too unreal. Because they say he did some stuff like fucking Sergeant Barnes and Batoon say he's going to kill people, blah, 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 blah. Um, they didn't want the guy. Now, they try to play it off because it's homophobia, but they didn't know he was a homo- he was homosexual. I, th- I think it's more on the tight-knit platoon level interpersonal relationships. You get a good groove. You don't want it to change. He could have been a SEAL. It wouldn't have fucking mattered. Like prior enlisted SEAL. They wanted to fight with their people. I'm basing that on that's what I went through. They didn't want to fight with me. They were comfortable. They're going to war. Going to war is all about trust to the guy to your left and right. I was an unknown. They didn't want me. I wasn't a ranger. I was just a high-speed fucking E-7 with a bunch of other badges. But I wasn't what they wanted. And it took me a long time to get... I had to fire a sergeant. I had to go through a bunch of bullshit in combat because they did not want me. It was the only time in my 
military career, I was glad when I got new guys. We got four new guys and I can actually start influencing them that I'm the platoon star and they didn't have a bias against me because they weren't wanting one of my squad leaders to be in charge. Every other person wanted that guy to be in charge because he was their bud. Now that guy went on to be a first sergeant, retired. He was a great soldier. He's the one I put in for Silver Star. I have no animus towards him, but it was difficult having that guy still in the platoon because everybody wanted him because he technically was the platoon sergeant. The platoon sergeant before was such a douche nozzle that these guys grew to rely on this staff sergeant who was there. He trained with them. He suffered with them. Totally understand it. But it's a difficult dichotomy to go to combat when you're not wanted. And Clint Lawrence was not wanted. Period. And I do not believe it had anything to do with his sexual orientation. They didn't know. They were in theater. They couldn't see this. And it didn't get to them because it was squashed instantly. But the second point on it, it's very interesting that defenders of military justice all of a sudden, who don't see Vinman breaking the chain of command, breaking military protocol, and being a liberal shill piece of shit, simultaneously not crowing that, hey, wait a minute, Trump just let a gay guy off because he's a homosexual. That will not come up in the next GLAD conversation about how Trump is violate or just abusing homosexuals and transgenders all over this country like they always do. I mean, it's been that way since Reagan because he put millions of dollars into AIDS research. He didn't put trillions, so he just wanted people to die of AIDS because he didn't like faggots, as they say. And there's no proof of that. They did put money. It did get solved under Reagan. But you'll never hear that because, once again, Republicans have to be homophobes, transphobes, gay haters. They, that's what that to be. Joe Biden, it's our next one. Trump's intervention in the American military justice system to pardon service members accused and convicted of war crimes betrays the rule of law, the value that make our country exceptional, and the men and women who wear the uniform honorably. He is not fit to command our troops. Robert O'Neill, the guy who killed bin Laden, you said no to bin Laden raid, then you announced SEAL Team 6 when you, we did it. I still had my body armor on when you turned my life around. How dare you? Secondly, when a Democrat runs her cock fucking suck for military justice, they're the same people that want all sexual harassment complaints to be handled by civilians. It should be not in the military chain of command. That's what they say. But now he violated. Joe, just shut up. Shut the fuck up. In sad news, a hero from Black Hawk Down has died. The Rockford Register Star reported that 64-year-old Sergeant Major, retired James McMahon, died November 5th. A 16-year veteran Army Ranger was aboard one of the two Blackhawks shot down by rocket-propelled grenades. Somalia, the book by Mark Bowden, introduced McMahon by describing his face as so battered and cut that he looked like he was wearing a fright mask. Um, so he died. Military Academy athletes can now delay service and go pro. They just did that so the guys that are really good football players can go play football and then come back. 
Good. Cash, cars, and guns. Former Army Range Director pleads guilty in bribery scheme. Former Range Director at Hawaii Schofield Barrack pled guilty Tuesday to accepting more than $100,000 in bribes from civilian contractors who helped steer $19 million in government contracts. Victor Garo, 67, of Milani, Hawaii, accepted it and got his buddy's jobs, and he's gone. Marine Dog, honored for combat valor, Bass, a Belgian Malinois, I can never say that word, served more than six years in Marine Corps Special Operations in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Somalia. During his time in Iraq, Bass conducted more than 350 explosive detection with his handlers. On Thursday, Bass was awarded the Medal of Bravery on Capitol Hill for his work with the Marines. The award, the first of its kind, was issued by Angels Without Wings, a nonprofit aiming to formally acknowledge the valor of working animals. So, Good for him. He's a bad man. Bad man. <clears throat> um, let's see. And our closeout as we go to more World War II Christmas music for our music break and then back into news and social media nuggets with some college crazy. It'll be a nice soundbite of a student body axing the Pledge of Allegiance. I saw this on SWAT. I'd heard about him, never seen it, but it's a corner shot rifle. Yeah. Pretty interesting. So here's a little spot on it and a little music, and then we'll be into College Crazy. Hello, my name is Liam Bryan. I'm here with the Corner Shot system. Corner Shot was invented in Israel by Amos Golan. He was a commander in an anti-terror unit for many years and decided to find a solution for his soldiers sticking their heads around corners or over walls to see what was behind them. Too many people were getting hurt and killed, so there had to be a solution found. Now, over a long period of time, the corner shot system was developed to give an answer to this problem. What happens is there's a polymer frame in which you drop any standard pistol. So you can drop a Glock 17, like you see here, or an adapter for a Beretta or Zigzauer, just about any standard armament you can think of. There's a linkage, mechanical linkage, that puts the trigger through a cable connected to this trigger down here. There's a camera right here that transmits a feed to this screen right here. Flashlight and two lasers. The operation is extremely simple. Put a pistol in, put a magazine in, rack it normally. This lever down here releases the mechanism and allows you to turn the corner shot to 62 degrees. What this allows you to do is come up to a corner and instead of having to risk yourself and expose your body like this, which could potentially be fatal or extremely harmful to any operator. Just turn the corner shot, come up to the corner, and pop the camera around the corner. Completely safe, completely protected. And once we turn it on, everything this camera sees is transmitted back to the operator back here. So I can see perfectly exactly what's going on inside the room or behind this corner without exposing my body in any way. I can then choose if I want to fire off a round or shout out a warning or if there's no threat. Very important feature 
of the corner shot is once you've cleared a room, you cannot continue fighting like this. So it snaps back immediately to the straight position. Go the other way. It's as simple as that. Now this has been deployed around the world for about eight years now. We have stacks of testimonials and letters from SWAT officers, Marines, Army lieutenants saying that this is an essential tool for missions, allowing them to look over walls like this or under cars. And what we're seeing a lot is in Iraq when there's a big need to move from building to building to building. Once a force has cleared a four-story building, for example, indigenous population a lot of times will call a sniper and they'll set up on an adjacent building on some top floor. It's impossible to see them without sticking your head out a window or out of a door. Corner shot, we've heard, is being used like this. From a safe distance, an operator and a soldier can look down, see what's going on on the street, see adjacent buildings, and decide if they're safe to move on to the next building or not. Corner shot from Israel. Availability is to uh, civilians and law enforcement. Uh, requires a special tax stamp, but certainly available to anyone who uh, feels they can benefit from this life-saving... Thank you, relatives. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> this is Bob Christmas Eve Hope telling all you Americans to keep backing up our boys, and when Santa comes down from the ice and snow, he'll find us sticking together like Franklin, Winston, and Joe. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm very happy to be on this wonderful Christmas Eve show. Christmas is so exciting here. You should see the Christmas trees in Hollywood Boulevard tonight. They floated down from the Yukon last week. <laughs> I don't mean to say that the snow has been that loose everywhere. I understand it's so cold in the Middle West that even the Republicans are waiting for the fireside chats. <laughs> but Christmas spirit really prevails in Hollywood. All the boys in the service are visiting the canteen. You know what the Hollywood canteen is? That's the only place in the world where a private is happier with one star in his arms than he would be with four on his shoulder. I saw... I saw W.C. Fields at the canteen, and he sat next to me, but that's beside the pint. You should... You should see his nose now that they lifted the dim out. It's wonderful. But I love Christmas because that's the time of the year that all my relatives come over and sit around the tree. And to think that only a few years ago, most of them were sitting in it. And <laughs> it sneaks up on you, doesn't it, huh? <laughs> and you should, uh, you should see the Christmas cards I got this year. I got one card from Dorothy L'Amour with a picture of her and a sarong on it. 
What a picture. You know how George Washington looks straight ahead on a two-cent stamp? Well, in this envelope, he keeps peeking over his shoulder. <laughs> I got a lot of presents, but I received one present I heard ticking, so I threw it right into the bathtub, but I'm afraid I was a little hasty. Now I've got the only clock in the world where the cuckoo comes out every hour and blows bubbles. <laughs> Crosby gave his kids Indian outfits with real feathers. I don't know where he got the feathers. All I know is that yesterday I saw a stork flying over Los Angeles in a bathrobe. <laughs> Are you trying to get crazy with this, see? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Students here saying they won't, they don't feel that we're representing them because we're having this. I don't worry about conference chair. If we, if we have, if we've got students here saying they won't feel represented, they're j just as much as we have international students, and I, we thank them for coming here as well. We've also got students who feel very strongly about the pledge as well. We have to represent them. And yes, when people say, you know, oppression, we do have oppressive, you know, about oppression, yes, we do have oppressive past, and there have been unfortunate times in American history. But guess what? The thing about that pledge of liberty and justice for all, 
You want to also kind of also say as well is that we can move past that, and our darkest days are behind us, and there's always a light at the end of the tunnel in our country. I will say this now: if we also live in a oppressive government, you could be shot or arrested for making that same very statement. If we were in an oppressive government, I'm going to leave you with that right there. And I know for a fact that we're not an oppressive government. And I also heard people mention that, you know, there's an opportunity here. Please don't address other members. I know. I've also heard things mentioned that there's an opportunity here. Guess what? I don't know the exact numbers I'm going to speak, but I guarantee it. There's quite a bit of people who, in other countries, don't have that opportunity to go to college, and their government won't finance it. Because we have things like Pell Grants and things like that that direct and, uh, a financial aid that helps a lot of people that would not have the opportunity. So that's what I have to say, and I yield the rest of my time. Um, as an educator, I felt that it was important to do my due diligence. It hurts my soul when I hear stupid shit like that. It just hurts my soul. Students demand ability to select roommate based on race during days long sit in. Not going to read the article. There it is. And yes, there were African-American students requesting that they only be with African-American people. And somehow the media didn't notice that, or even the cabal that is uh, social justice, that that's pretty fucking racist if the shoe was on the other foot. UC Boulder encouraging obesity with weight bias workshop, conservative group says. Boulder is hosting a body liberation workshop Tuesday where attendees will learn about topics such as thin privilege and weight bias. Thin privilege! God, they never come up with more privileges. The event hosted by UC Boulder Human Resource Office is titled Body Liberation Examining Weight Bias Through Cultural Lens Workshop. is open to any university faculty and staff member where they can learn about social societal weight-based beliefs and also learn the size and weight through cultural lens. Weight bias impacts people across the weight spectrum and is a form of oppression that we can and need to do something about. The event description states, body size is not the problem, but oppression around body size is. According to the description, our bodies are not problems to be solved, that people only try to fix their bodies because society tells them certain bodies are more worthy and valuable. I'm not reading anymore. Even go into sizes and how sizes are oppressive. Listen, the only thing oppressive is that I'm a fucking fat ass and my heart's going to pop like a tick if I don't get my cholesterol down. That has nothing to do with the societal structures or a, you know, as they always say, um, um, gender is just a societal construct. No, you're fat. You're fat because you're fat. Society didn't make you fat. You chose to be fat. Own it. I own it. I'm a fat ass. I own that shit. I shouldn't eat 45 brats at a sitting, but I do. No, I don't actually eat 45 brats. UW student gov requiring doctor's notes for missing classes. Wait for it. Did you say racist, Matt, in Oregon? You're right. Associate students of the University of Washington Board of Directors passed a resolution calling on the university to ban professors 
from asking for doctor notes if a student is absent. The resolution was passed by a vote of 49-0-2 on November 7th and says that ASUW strongly endorses the revision of Student Governance and Policy Chapter 112 to specifically prohibit faculty from requiring documentation from medical professionals to determine whether grant accommodation for students' absence due to short-term medical causes. Justification for the resolution include the doctor excuse notes may be racist by requiring students to procure and submit medical excuse notes significantly disadvantages students from marginalized communities or who are less likely to adequately insured low-income students, deferred action for childhood arrivals, minority students, etc. Another concern the students brought forth is the resolution is that the health center is overbooked, which can make it difficult for students to get excuse, no- excuse notes. Hall Health is booked to an overcapacity. Thus, students who want to procure medical excuse notes without having a substantial medical need are inadvertently decreasing access for students who require care and need to be seen, which is long speak for only minority students should be able to go in there, regardless of income, because whitey's bad. The real world is going to kill you people, man. It's just going to kill you. You just don't, uh, because I don't have health coverage. You know, you work at a store and you don't have a doctor's note, you're fucked. There's there's urgent care clinics. Get your ass over there. Ivy League schools do the next stupid on It's Racist. Culturally biased standardized test requirements. Two Ivy League universities have announced that many graduate programs will no longer require traditional standard graduate record exam testing requirement for applicants, citing reasons pertaining to diversity and concerns that such tests are biased against the minority and low-income students. Both Princeton and Brown have announced they are moving the standardized testing requirement to grant more admission to people who aren't smart enough to go to the goddamn school. Princeton announced a decision to do away with the standardized testing for 14 different graduate programs in September, calling the graduate record exam biased against minority groups. Princeton Associate Dean for Access, Diversity, and Inclusion, Renita Miller, cited a need for intellectually diversity within graduate programs as well as importance of demographic diversity. She insists that doing away with the requirement will help Princeton to achieve its goal to identify, attract, and develop the most promising individuals from many segments of society as possible. <laughs> Universities like Princeton have done a good job at expanding and diversifying their undergraduate program, Miller added. If we want to make our similar studies on graduate level, we must find new ways to recruit and enroll graduate students who may be the first in their families to attend college and from low-income and underrepresented backgrounds. <clears throat> the assertion is that one way to do this is to do away with standardized testing because as Princeton Director of Graduate Studies for Classic Johannes Hobel puts it, there's a concern that standardized testing are culturally biased in favor of certain groups and that they end up testing primarily how good one is at taking tests. Well, isn't that what college is about? Taking tests? You know, I, I understand you want all boats to rise, the big Obama thing, all boats will rise. But getting a fucking person to go to a college that they're not qualified for is like putting a fucking two-inch fucking hole in a rubber raft. You're eventually going to sink. You're just going to sink. I mean, if we're talking about intellectual Blah, blah, blah. Well, then do programs to get people pre-qualified. You know, the Army has a um, pre-West Point for dummies like me 
who ended up with like a 2.9 GPA because I didn't give a fuck. They had a school you could go to. Make those. If you want to improve it, improve it on getting them better education segments to get them online with everybody else. But in science and in education, it should just be the result. It shouldn't be, well, we need to give a bell curve for people that lived in the wrong zip code. That kind of defeats the purpose. But, you know, this is liberalism. They do it in the military. They do it everywhere. We just change the standards so people that aren't as qualified can get a certificate to get jobs. And it'll improve us all. No, it won't. When you have a doctor who's not fucking qualified working on your fucking pancreas. Then we got our Thanksgiving. This one cracked me the fuck up. University invites students to decolonize your Thanksgiving. Well, let's find out what that is. A Pennsylvania University is hosting an event aimed to both decolonize Thanksgiving and educate students about the myths of Thanksgiving, along with serving decolonized cuisine. Students at Indiana University of Pennsylvania are invited to decolonize Thanksgiving on Thursday at a table hosted by IUP's Native American Awareness Council and sponsored by the school's Social Equity and Title IX office. The function encouraged students to decolonize your Thanksgiving and to go beyond the harmful pilgrims and Indians narrative of the first Thanksgiving. It's so harmful. The whole story is the natives hooked brother up because we didn't know how to grow shit and thus gave us a feast that we were thankful for because they were starving to death. So how is that a bad story? The event is part of a Native American Awareness Council celebration of Native American Heritage Month. Jesus Christ, you guys got a lot of words in your shit. Stories told about the first Thanksgiving are often perpetuated. Harmful stereotypes and racism, the event page asserts. The event description also encouraged students and faculty to focus on common values, generosity, gratitude, community, and good food, rather than the harmful themes of pilgrims and Indians. Let's just break this down for a second. Does anybody sit down to eat their turkey dinner and go, let's talk about the pilgrims? No, it's like, let's get this fucking food in my belly because the football game's coming on. There will be copies of the suppressed speech of Wamasata James. Abigail Adams, the chairperson for IUP's Native American Awareness Council till campus forum. We have a poster that addresses the myths of Thanksgiving with quotes from Native Ameri- Native scholars and activists. Adams also stated that Carrie House, a two-spirit Navajo scholar, <laughs> two-spirit, has hosted a lecture on campus in 2017 about Native two-spirits and it's labeled as presenter of social justice, LGBTQ2, and cultural and environment issues will also be at the table to offer the native perspective of Thanksgiving. Because gay turkeys really matter when you're eating them. Do they taste better? I do not know. In addition, the NAAC Social Equity and Title X office will hold a concurrent event throughout the week titled the, Decoloni- the De- Decolonial Cuisine Celebration to describe as culinary movement honoring the heritage of indigenous Americans through their food ways and dietary choices. What the fuck is a food way? If it's like a highway with a lot of food on it, where the fuck's it at? Somebody tell me. I want to get on the goddamn food way. Campus Reform also reached out to IUP College Republican Chapter and did not respond in time for publication, and the Social Equity Office will redirect inquiries to the NAAC Chapter on campus. So I want to know what decolonializing my food is. Oh, I know. Tofu turkey. 
organic kumquats. What the fuck? Let's go to gay shit. Hey, hey, hey. Bow, bow. Bow, Lil pump and cut. Hey, gang shit, 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 gang shit. Women's MMA fighting is growing in popularity, and no other female fighter is as explosive as Heather Swanson. Heather, your story is an inspiration to sports fans everywhere. Congratulations on your shocking success. I just hope I can motivate little girls out there. Motivate them to understand that I will beat them at any sport they try. Motivate them to run away like that chicken shit strong woman did. Because I'm... All right, right, that's enough. You, uh, you made your point, Heather. We get it, okay? Oh, hey, transphobe. This is a nice surprise. Oh, God, what is he doing? Look, everyone, I know we're all a little afraid to have any opinions on this stuff, but uh, there can be situations where it's not so easy to... What I mean is I I didn't count on being the best since identifying as a woman. Yeah, no shit, because you went through puberty as a male, so your body's completely different. And that's exactly what a transphobe would say. I told you not to call me a transphobe. All I want is to have a discussion. Transphobe. How am I going to look my kids in the eyes, Strong? Since they were born, we've taught them to accept and fight for those who are marginalized. That there's no gray area when it comes to inclusion and acceptance. When I go back, all they're going to see is a big, fat hypocrite. And now I've just used a word to shame people with weight issues. P, you can't just shut down because you're afraid of how the babies are going to react. But they're right, Strong. I shoved a trans person. No matter what, I have no right to judge her. Do you think... Could you try to explain it to the babies? You know how they are. They're babies. Their minds are made up before anyone says anything. That is South Park pretty much mocking the tranny sports shit. Because it needs to be mocked. I mean, it deserves mockery. Which I I just don't understand. If you've lost South Park, what the fuck, Chuck? What the fuck? And then to get our other soundbite done, I'm going to uh, push it up here. Where the fuck is it? Online sex ed school videos for children feature drag queens, transgender people, and explicit sex advice. This is long, but I'm playing it, and I'm asking the question, why do kids need this kind of training? Today we're going to use our sex ed school dolls, Blue and Ginger, to help you guess today's topic. Hey Ginger, I'm Blue. I use the pronouns they and them. Hi Blue, nice to meet you. I'm Ginger and I use he and him pronouns. Awesome. Yeah. Pretty good? 
It's a little bit tough because we're describing something that's inside you and part of how you know yourself. Any other guesses? Yes, being a lesbian. So it's not quite about you know who we have relationships with. It's more about who we understand ourselves to be. So, for example, if I was introducing myself to all of you, I would tell you that I use the pronouns she and her because I'm a woman, and when I was your age, I used to be a girl. And if I was introducing myself to Nadine and to everyone, I'd also use she/her pronouns. So this is the thing that you might think about when you're deciding what clothes you want to wear or how you want to wear your hair. Gender is how you feel on the inside about whether you're a boy or a girl, a man or a woman. If you're non-binary, feel like neither. Or both. Does anybody know what non-binary means? It's like when you're neither female or male. It's an umbrella term, so people can also be fluid, feel more like female, more like male, on a, based on a different day or time. It's really individual. Absolutely. Today we're actually talking about gender. Gender, we're gonna play a true or false game. Everyone born with a vulva is a girl. True or false? Or identifies as a girl. Well, not everybody is sure, and that makes sense. But our genitals actually don't determine our gender. So some people born with vulvas can be boys. A boy can wear a dress and still be a boy. We're all on this. It's true. So you can use how you style your hair or how you get dressed to show your gender to other people, but there aren't any clothes that are exclusive to one gender. People of any gender can like or wear any color. That is true. Colors don't have a gender. They're just colors, so you can wear whatever color you like or whatever color your mom makes you wear. To help us learn a little bit more about gender, we actually have an extra special visitor to Sex Ed School. His name is Caleb. He's trans, and he is here to answer all your questions about gender. Oh, hello, everybody. Hi. I'm Caleb, and I'm here because uh, I do workshops and stuff about gender, and so we're going to talk a little bit about gender. Yes. Does everyone yes. have a gender? Huh. I don't believe that toilet is a gender, well, but maybe it is gender? for you. Maybe it is for you. I have been through the spectrum. If we were to say a spectrum of like boys and girls, uh, I have been everywhere in between. I was born a girl, and then when I was two years old, I told my mom for the first time that I was a boy. And uh, I think that I framed it. I don't remember it. I've only been told stories, but I framed it because my brother's middle name was the same as my dad's. And so I insisted that my middle name was also the same as his.、Uh, but back in the day, there was no talk shows and there was no internet. There was no resources, so she just ignored it. And then nothing happened for many, many years. And she did ask me when I was going to kindergarten, "So do you know what your name is?" Because she was kind of checking in if I knew what my assigned gender was. And、uh, and then it still took me. A long time into my twenties before I decided to transition, but in there, I was a you know a tomboy, if that's what we say, or like I was sporty. I had short hair, and then I grew it out in high school because I felt like I should, and I felt like that's what people wanted me to be. And then in my twenties, I decided to become a drag king, which 
uh, we don't hear about as much. Like drag queens are in the news all the time, but a drag king is a little bit different. So for me, it was I in my daily life I was a girl, um, but then when I went on stage and I wanted to perform, I would perform as male and I would use he/him pronouns. And that was kind of a way for the first time where people were seeing me as a boy, and that's when it kind of clicked in my head of I actually want to do this when I'm off stage as well. Yeah. If you were a girl when, uh, like, you're little, how did you like change to become like a boy? Uh, uh, so in my twenties, um, for my personal journey, I started with hormones, which is what changed my voice a bit, and it. Um, changes your body a little bit, yeah. Like now that you have a bit of a beard. Yeah, so that is because I'm on testosterone, which, you know, when you're uh, you go through puberty. So I basically went through a second puberty when I was in my 20s, which is, I know, if you go through puberty once, it's enough. But I went through two. Do you still take hormones? Yeah, if you send some people will go on it for a little bit and then go off of it. But for me, it's a, I have to take it, I, it's a shot, it's an injection, and I have to do it every week. Does, does anyone know what non-binary is? It's like when you are a boy and a girl. Yeah, in some ways, for some yeah. people. Or sometimes when you don't conform to like those gender norms. Exactly. Yeah, and maybe you just don't feel like either of those fit. Yeah. So, um, so non-binary, it can also be a huge range. And even transition people, it's a huge range of what that means. So some people might be transitioned and never take hormones. They might never have surgery. They might, and that they're happy with their bodies. Whereas other people are like, no, I want to really like do these steps to become, you know, transition. Are there any ways that like you being trans has affected you in your like day-to-day -day life now? Yeah, there's major things like. Um, going to the washroom or sometimes I still get called miss or I still get called a girl sometimes which throws me off a little bit and but going to washrooms is one of the biggest places where it's all about binary and people feel like there's these safe spaces and that they're afraid that you know trans people are gonna go in as these monster creatures and everybody just wants to pee I have a friend with short hair who's a woman and she has had security called on her in the woman's washroom. And she's not trans, she's not non-binary, she's just a woman with short hair. Literally people have called security in her own workplace. Yeah. So like, do you have male or female parts? Um, I'm sure a lot of people ask, or a lot of people are wondering that. Uh, for me personally, I have had top surgery, which means that uh, I had technical term is a double mastectomy so I did have my breasts removed so I have scars here on my chest and then I really only talk about kind of what's in my pants um, if people are getting in there so to the general public uh, you know people don't need to know what's in your pants people don't need to know what's in my pants uh, yeah. um, at one point we were at school it was cold out and like so, but we had to wear shorts, like the girls had to wear shorts, but then the boys could wear pants under our sh their shorts. And then when we tried to wear our pants, the teachers told us we couldn't. And so then we had to wear our shorts, but it was really cold out. And so it was like terrible. Yes. Yeah. Uniform, uniforms can be extremely binary and they can make people feel really uncomfortable when they're forced into things, right? And that's whether you are trans or questioning your gender or not. 
So we're going to play a little game. We're going to play a game involving some chairs. And so we're going to stand up, we're going to swap things out, and we're going to bring in some chairs and we're going to do a little activity. How are these chairs that you selected? Comfortable. Oh, yeah, you look very comfortable. How are you down there? Not comfortable. <laughs> Does it feel weird when everybody else seems yeah. comfortable in their chairs? Maybe that chair doesn't feel like it suits you, right? Why don't we switch chairs? Let's see. Everybody's going to stand up. You're going to do a little walk. You're going to walk it out. And then I'll ring the bell. Walk. walk it out. Walk it out. <laughs> I feel like you move from the most uncomfortable to the second most uncomfortable. Well, this or is that okay. one? That one works for you. Yeah. That everybody has bodies. Everyone has vessels, and these chairs are like various vessels. They're like various bodies. So some of us feel very comfortable in some of our cushy chairs. Some of them are like, eh, this would be better if I had a pillow on it. And some people are like, no, but this is not good for me. Same as, you know, some body parts, right? This, these body parts did not work for my body. And everybody is going to find out who they are in different ways, whether that's surgery, whether that's hormones, or whether it's nothing at all. So, and if you do feel comfortable in those ways, just know that there's a lot of people that don't. And as allies, it's really important to support other people and help them out and be a voice for them because sometimes not everybody can stand up for themselves. Boom. Keep it up. Our son told us he feels like a girl. What should we do now? So all you need to do is tell your child that you love them and support them. And the rest you can figure out over time. You don't have to know it all right now. Intersex. A person born whose hormones, chromosomes, gonads, genitals, and or secondary sex characteristics don't fit. We've learned so much about gender today, and if you want to keep learning, you can check out our website. And remember, gender is all about how you feel on the inside. So until next time, class dismissed. Have you watched? Have you Have you watched sex at school yet? What are you waiting for? You have to shout it. Like, what are you waiting for? We've learned so much about brainwashing today, and if you want to continue to get brainwashed, go to this website. Here's a reality right here. How in the name of Zeus's fucking ass crack is different chairs the same as I want to chop off my cock and make it a vagina or in this weirdo's fucking world I want a cock I'm getting rid of my boobs and I'm not going to answer what I have in my pants anybody anybody out there once again I don't give a fuck be a goat fuck goats none of my goddamn business but this brainwash, that's child abuse. To all the parents that allowed their kids to go on this propaganda video, you're a fucking piece of shit. You're just a fucking piece of shit. You're human feces. Kids don't need to know about this shit until they actually get to puberty.
but it's indoctrination, it is brainwashing, and more importantly, it is trying to get kids to become liberal. It's all a tool. It has nothing to do with, this is my natural thing. No, it's not your natural thing. No. Penguins don't fuck each other the same or sex. You try to make it work in a fucking zoo, it was all bullshit. They got a new fucking casa and got a new biatch. And had little, little fucking penguins. It's all a lie. But more propaganda. Now it's coming from Microsoft. This is what our kids need. This is exactly what our children need. The planet's going to blow up in 12 years, so they really don't need to fucking worry about sex or anything because they're going to be dead. But they need a trans video game. That's right. Glad and Microsoft produced trans video game. Get ready, gamers. Microsoft has teamed up with Glam to create a video game where players get to control a trans character. I'll let you catch your breath. Debuting at Microsoft's X019 tech event in London, the game Tell Me Why features a playable main character who identifies as transgender. The Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, or the Mafia Motherfuckers who are fucking up our society, Glad, the LGBTQ media police, had a hard hand in this, working with game development company Don't Nod to bring a trans... A life trans character, Tyler Ronan, on Xbox game console throughout the country. Hollywood Reporter explained the game director, Florent Gilgam, and Xbox senior creative director, Joseph Statton, brought in Glad so they could provide some realism to the experience of playing a trans person. An authentic representation of the trans experience as well as a character free from coming cliches. And really, in a video game world filled with Star Wars and World War II shooters, who can't appreciate versimilitude in the thrill-a-minute world of sexually confused? The article asks, I agree. The outlet detailed the premise of the game, which follows two twins, Tyler being one of them, who use their sibling bond to uncover memories of loving yet troubled childhood. Wow, that'll be great, old pulse pounding. Glad director of transgender representation, Nick Adams, assures the assembled Dragon Masters and Sergeant Rock shoot 'em up addicts that Tyler is a fully realized, endearing character whose story is not reduced to simplistic trans tropes. It's pretty simple. You don't know who the fuck you are. You got a mental disorder called gender dysphoria, and you're confused. Joseph Staten thanked Glad for its help on the project. He claimed it's been really important for everyone on the project to understand the history of LGBTQ representation and transgender representation in games to make sure we did our best to get it right. Oh, Joe, like the hapless immigrant deli owner and Godfather 2, you invited the diversity mafia in, and now you'll be paying in protection money forever. So true. Pretty soon, every team of elite international counter-terror operators and hard-luck grunts will include a sassy gay corporal and a 6'5", 230-pound demolition expert named Loretta. Don't believe it? Hollywood Productions over-represent actual... LGBT demographics twice over, we just covered it. So, still tell me why is director Gillum claimed the goal was not to have an agenda. Oh, really? You didn't have an agenda. We develop characters and stories because we believe in their value and giving experience to players. Hmm, no, there's no agenda here. Just a special interest group with a rainbow axe to grind on whatever industry will let them in. And it will let them in. Chick-fil-A... Just did it. Just did it. It starts with the Salvation Army. Goulding made the announcement after fans took to her Instagram to accuse Salvation Army of trans and homophobia and condemning her 
for supporting the organization. The comments prompted Golding to respond with comments. Upon researching this, I've reached out to Salvation Army and said that I would have no choice but to pull out unless they were very quickly make a solid, committed pledge to donate the LGBTQ community. I am a committed philanthropist, as you probably know, and my heart has always been in the helpless, helping the homeless, but supporting gay charity is clearly not something I would ever intentionally do. Thank you for drawing my attention to this. Salvation Army issues update on British singer who demanded donation to LGBT to perform in an NFL game. Mid pressure from the activist fans on social media, English singer and songwriter, blah, 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 Salvation Army, quickly, blah, 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 Thanksgiving Day, NFL game kickoff, a charity Red Kettle campaign. On Wednesday, the organization, which raised over $140 million for impoverished people last year, issued an update on the situation. After learning the truth about Salvation Army mission to serve all, Goulding will be performing as scheduled on Thanksgiving. But after backlash from activist fans alleging the Salvation Army discriminates against members of the LGBTQ community, Goulding issued her demand. Da da da. The Salvation Army did not take the allegation lying down, quickly pushing back against the claim with an organization of our size, a history myths can perpetuate. A spokesperson for the organization told NBC5 Tuesday, an individual's sex or gender identity, religion, or lifestyle has no bearing on our willingness to provide service. We stand firmly behind our mission to meet human needs in his name without discrimination. On Wednesday, the organization issued an update on the situation with Goulding, thanking her and the activists who made the false claim for inadvertently shedding light on misconceptions about them. I'd like to thank Ely Gold and her fans for shedding light on misconceptions and encourage others to learn truth about the Salvation Army's mission to serve all without discrimination, said Commissioner Dave Hudson, National Commander of the Salvation Army, as reported by Fort Worth Star. We applaud her for taking the time to learn about the services we provide to the LGBTQ community. Regardless of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or gender identity, we're committed to serving anyone in need. Every day we provide services, shelters for transgender community and resources for homeless youth, 40% of whom identify as gay or transgender. Allies' performance on the 23rd annual Salvation Army Red Kittle kickoff during the Dallas Cowboy game Thanksgiving Day will kick off a season of giving that helps support these and many other programs and services throughout the country. As the Daily Wire highlighted Tuesday, the Salvation Army USA website also notes it works with the community and they work with everybody, so it's fucking bullshit. It's just that they're Christians. In comes Chick-fil-A to stop donating to Christian charities branded anti-LGBT. In an interview with Bizno, Chick-fil-A President and Chief Operating Officer Tim Tassapolosis announced that the famous fried chicken chain plans to make significant changes with charities as we go into the new markets. Amid continuing boycotts of the highly popular and successful chain, anti-LGBT groups and causes, Tassapolosis revealed that the company's foundation will no longer donate to some high-profile Christian organizations. As Chick-fil-A expands globally into more liberal parts of the U.S., the chicken chain plans to change its charity donates after years of bad press and protests from the LGBT community. Beginning next year, Chick-fil-A will move away from its current philanthropic structure. Bizno has learned after donating to more than 300 charitable organizations this year, the Atlanta-based fast food chain will instead focus on three initiatives with one accompanying charity each, education, homeless, and hungry. There's no question we know that as we go into new markets, we need to be clear about who we are. There are lots of articles in Newcast about Chick-fil-A, and we thought we need to be clear about our message. With its new, more narrowed approach to charitable donations, the company's charitable action will no longer include donations to organizations like the Salvation Army, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and Paul Anderson Youth Home. So they bent the knee. So what do you think Glad said? Response to Chick-fil-A came in is exactly what you expect. Powerful 
Gay Mafia Glad quickly posted a statement condemning Chick-fil-A for allegedly still being anti-LGBT. If Chick-fil-A is serious about their pledges to stop holding hands with divisive anti-LGBTQ activists, then further transparency is needed regarding their deep ties to organizations like Focus on the Family, which exists purely to harm LGBTQ people and families. A statement for the organization reads, It will not matter unless you donate specifically to gay organizations. Go fuck yourself and your chicken sandwiches, which are delicious. Chick-fil-A faces heat for caving to leftists, cutting ties with Christian organizations. Now, the boomerang comes back, because a lot of groups, a lot of people, hey, they respected them. It was one of the last stalwarts that said, fuck you and your bullshit. We hire gay people, we don't give a fuck, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. This is bullshit. So let me get down inside this article. I didn't copy and paste this one because it's too much. Uh, backfire. Judging the reaction online, which is overwhelmingly negative on the political right and still not satisfying many on the political left. Here are just some of the reactions. Dana Loach. Chick-fil-A bend the knee to the mob. In their statement, Chick-fil-A said they're going to do- donate to charities that focus on education, homelessness, and hunger. That's literally what the Salvation Army and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes does. A group that facilitates fellowship of faithful high schoolers encouraging embracing Christ's top command to love one another. So bad to encourage those values today, apparently. Um, prominent hot air blogger, Ala Pundit. With today's Chick-fil-A news, it's finally safe for all of us righties to admit that the food is nothing special. Matt Walsh, Chick-fil-A had a defy... Chick-fil-A defied the LGBT rage mob for years and only grew in popularity because of it. Now, all of a sudden, they cave. This is the most pointless and counterproductive surrender I've ever seen because it doesn't matter. It didn't get you any cred, Chick-fil-A. The sad message of Chick-fil-A is quite clear. They surrendered to anti-Christian hate groups. Tragic. Chick-fil-A stopped donating to Christian charity branded anti-LGBT. Rob Dreerer. Shame on you, shame on you, Chick-fil-A. You're the third most successful fast food chain in the U.S. You had no reason to capitulate, but you did. Yes, shame on the progressive bullies, too. Yet the greater shame is on you, Chick-fil-A. You are cowards. Chip Roy, congressman. Correct, and now my attitude towards Chick-fil-A is meh. It's just like every other corporation that ultimately capitulates. Sunday's not far behind? Good question. Political math. The main thing that makes me sad about this is Chick-fil-A donates to were generally good groups. Two, this will not actually stop groups on the left from hating them because hating them is mostly about moral signaling. And he's so right because it's not about the anti-LGBT. You're not saying anything anti-LGBT. Your president said we support traditional marriage but didn't say we're working to get against it or anything. It's because you're Christians. They hate Christians. Glad hates Christians. Democrats hate Christians. They hate your faith. So unless you capitulate into all your faith and come out as atheists, they're still going to hate you. Uh, Newsbuster Vice President Dan Gaynor, our friends from Chick-fil-A backstabbing the people who made this successful. I wouldn't take it that far. Um, Liz Winstead. Dick's Sporting Goods stops selling guns, alienates base, loses million dollars. NFL caves national anthem protest, alienates base, loses million dollars. Chick-fil-A, can we get some of that action? 
Rita Panahi, after ignoring the leftist rage bomb for years and becoming the most popular fast food chain, same thing. Shameful, Salvation Army's a good deal. Jesse Kelly, shame on Chick-fil-A. The LGBT mob is unquestionably the most powerful mob in America today. Everyone bends the knee to risk their wrath, making me freaking ill. Live look at Chick-fil-A headquarters where they found out how much money they could make by expanding into liberal areas. None! They're still not going to buy your sandwich. I had an article in Oregon right after this announcement. Triggered a bunch of students because they're going to put a Chick-fil-A. Had a walkout, a sit-in. I mean, they lost their fucking mind. Colonel Rob Manass. Oh my, very saddening by Chick-fil-A becoming just another part of the crappy corporate culture. Bill Holloway. I remember a lot of people going out on a limb to defend Chick-fil-A. Everyone stood by the company for standing by its values. That's what makes today a bit sad for so many who saw the company as a beacon of hope and a messed up culture. I stood in line all fucking day to get a sandwich during one of the protests. Allie Beth, it was a drive-thru line. Really, Chick-fil-A? Allie Beth Stuckey. This is the direction you want to go? You garnered the unconditional support of millions, not in spite of, but because of your stances. You are never going to get the support of the woke, no matter what you do. Now you're just going to polarize people, your primary customers, who liked that you supported Christian charities. Chad Felix Green, it seems Chick-fil-A is about to learn a hard lesson that attempting to appease their outrage mob is much harder than simply ignoring them. Lauren Chen, there's no point trying to appease people who hate you and lie about you. You'll bend the knee to please them, but they'll hate you anyway. Ben Shapiro, Chick-fil-A has survived and thrived because they served everyone and refused to cater to the cancel culture. Now they cater to the behest of the censorious left. This is a terrible move and just the latest indicator that the center cannot hold. Steve Cortez, here's a paradox as well. No matter how hard Chick-fil-A tries, they'll never placate the leftists. Kurt Schilster, Chick-fil-A, let's sell out our principles to buy the love of the left and diss those who support us when we need it. The left, screw you, Chick-fil-A. Us normal, screw you, Chick-fil-A. Remember, cowardness and weakness makes everyone hate you. David Rubin, the the decision makes absolutely no sense. Same thing, it's all the same. Dan Bondigo, all the same. Charles Payne, Eric Erickson, Chris Sigal. Uh, Dr. Gina, when one folds, it bullies and bodied. I'm not going to do it anymore. It's it's all the same. It doesn't end. It's just fucking stupid. Now, for me, am I still going to go eat it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm still going to eat it. Uh, I'll eat that shit. It's good. But at the same time, I don't know why they do this. They're never going to change. They're never going to change. They're going to still hate you. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. It's not about chicken. It's not. So to other shit, um, so I don't forget to cover it. Cobb legislator proposes new law to criminalize physical gender change of children. Pushback comes when you do freaky shit, lefties. State Representative Ginny Earhart, Powder Springs, wants to make it felony to change a child's gender through surgery or drugs and plans to introduce her Vulnerable Child Protection Act in the Georgia General Assembly. Earhart issued a news release Wednesday morning announcing her sponsorship of the bill. The Vulnerable Child Protection Act is not an attempt to infringe on the rights of adults to make life child choices for themselves. This is about children who are being abused by adults. Proposed bill, if passed through Georgia Senate and signed into law, 
would make it a felony crime to perform radical surgery on or administer drugs to a minor for the purpose of attempting to change their gender. This would include sterilization, mastectomy, vasectomy, castration, and other forms of genital mutilation, as well as any medication that causes infertility or blocks or delays normal puberty. And we will keep up with that bill because it needs to happen. If there's anything that I would go out and protest, if there's anything that I would ever... go crazy about is if Tennessee did that bill. I would fucking get out there and support the shit out of it. Because I don't care if you change your sex as an adult. That's your business. Making kids sterilize themselves for your virtue signaling is fucking criminal. But, to prove that it doesn't matter what you do, Christian companies slam for refusing to print college magazine that champions LGBT message. See, this is, once again, it's about religion. An Alabama printing company that has a strong Christian conviction has been working with the University of South Alabama for roughly 40 years and engendering hostility when it refused to print a student magazine that championed pro-LGBT message, including a cross-dressing and a drag queen. The Alabama AICOM, Alabama.com, sorry, Interstate Printing told its editor-in-chief of Due South Magazine Wednesday that the content of the magazine, which is about diversity and inclusion, did not align with the company's religious values. I'm sure that's not how they said it. They, they didn't say that. But. <laughs> Chad Felix Green came out hard on this same subject, so I want to read it. It's a long screed. The Salvation Army responds, We don't hate or discriminate against LGBT people. Salvation Army disavows anti-LGBTQ stance after close call with pop star L.A. Gold. What kind of hate group aggressively provides evidence they do not hate anyone, aggressively denounce hatred, and openly welcomes the people they're accused of hating? To the left, a Christian one. Dear Christians, how much of your faith are you willing to publicly denounce and abandon in order for the left to continue damning you for what you believed in the past anyway? The progressive religion has no concept of redemption. It's so true. You can only hope to receive slightly less punishment if you agree to violate your beliefs and abandon your faith today and promise not to offend them ever again. Here's the thing. Christians did nothing wrong. The gay right movement came on the heels of sexual evolution and Christians opposed the drug, sex, and hedonism of the culture. Christians had direct religious references to this culture in their Bible. Christians always open their doors to gay people while denouncing homosexuality. Christians oppose sexual education that included gay culture views on sexuality. Christians oppose changing marriage to accommodate the demands of gay culture. Every step of the way, Christians reacted to what the extreme left flaunted in their faces. Christians were right to stand up to the culture the gay movement created and promoted. Today's Christians continue being open and welcome to gays. You did nothing wrong. Christians are being punished for standing up to liberal culture that demand they abandon all their beliefs and values. It's so true. While we may look back at the language used and cringe, it was all a reaction to the obscenity thrown at them from the left. Today, our Christian friends are being targeted and retroactively prosecuted for beliefs they held two decades ago. They're being forced to announce views that were perfectly in sync with rational and moral people at the time. They are being bullied for their beliefs. Do not apologize for believing the gay rights movement of the 80s and 90s was dangerous to culture. It was. Do not apologize for being SCOTUS in the same-sex marriage ruling would usher in aggressive anti-Christian bigotry. It did. 
Do not apologize for standing up for your beliefs because a powerful minority accuser of hatred are doing so. Do not let them chain you in the public square to list your sins simply because they won. They believe homosexuality is sinful is not just a vacation for public persecution. The 2020 Trump campaign slogan should be LGBT. It's not always about you. L.I. Gold threatened to cancel her Thanksgiving halftime show because it's sponsored by Salvation Army. Salvation Army immediately states this is no way promotes anti-LGBT anything. Didn't matter. The left hates them for only one reason. The Salvation Army includes serving the LGBT community on how you can help Paige. It's not good enough. He's spot on. It doesn't matter what you do unless... You give up all your beliefs in Jesus, God, Allah. I don't give a shit, Jewish. It's about you must be moralless. Because that's what they are. They don't have morals. They think pedophiles are protected class. As long as they don't touch a kid, a map should be part of the LGBTQ EIEIO cabal. That's what they believe. You can't win. So... I'm going to keep track of the bill, and I'm going to keep track of Chick-fil-A, because I guarantee sales are going to dip. There are some pissed-off fucking people. I got to be honest. I still love their chicken, and I'll still shop there. But I shopped there more because they stood their ground. Not because they were anti-LGBT, because they weren't. It's because it was nice to see somebody flip their finger to cancel culture and win. Now that they bent the knee... Nobody will. It's ridiculous. ACLU sums up why we need to stand our ground. There's no one way to be a man. Men who get their periods are men. Men who get pregnant and give birth are men. Trans and non-binary men belong in International Men's Day. Really? 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 Jesus Christ. To abortion. Oh, wait a minute. Let's play Abrams really quick because I want to get this out there. Here's another It's Racist. Is the time for the electrical the electoral college passed? Yes. Electoral college is racist and classist. We have to remember the electoral college was not designed because people were worried about Idaho not having enough votes. We didn't know about Idaho. What we did know, we didn't. But what we did know was that in the South, the populations in the South had equal or roughly equal populations to the north. However, because black people were not considered human or citizens, they wanted their bodies to count for the purposes of the population count, but not their humanity. And the Electoral College was designed to give southern states the ability to count the bodies of slaves, but not have to allow them to cast votes. And thus the Electoral College was born as a compromise. The other challenge was that in the north, A lot of them didn't want immigrants making decisions, and they didn't believe that immigrants and that those who were not considered well-educated should be making decisions about who the executive of our nation should be. So it was a combination of racism and classism. Both of those things should be flung to the far reaches of history, and the Electoral College needs to go. Oh, I'm sorry. The Electoral College is also sexist. So, yeah. When you don't win, you call everything racist and sexist, lefties. Mark Ruffalo wishes my good friend Danny DeVito a happy birthday today, and they're wearing I Stand with Planned Parenthood, which means I will not watch any of their films. Abortion champion New York Governor Cuomo signs bill telling pro-lifers whom they can hire. ADF files lawsuit. 
November 8th, Cuomo, a fervent supporter of killing babies, signed Senate Bill 660, a bill which unconstitutionally insists that pro-life organizations are not allowed to discriminate against pro-abortion applicants in their hiring. Additionally, the bill will make it impossible for a pro-life organization to fire an employee who chooses to have an abortion. Employers shall not discriminate nor take any retaliatory action, personnel action against an employee with respect to compensation terms, conditions, or privileges of employment based on blah, blah, blah. Require an employee to sign a waiver or other documents reports to deny an employee the right to make their own reproductive health care decisions, blah, 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 blah. Late last week, the Alliance Defense Freedom which is defending freedom, sorry, which is famous for defending the constitutional rights of religious Americans, filed a lawsuit in federal court that represented Compassion Care, the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, which is comprised of pro-life pregnancy center and a first Bible Baptist church against Cuomo, Robert Reardon, who is the commissioner of Labor Department of New York, and New York Attorney General Lita James. ADF rights SB 660, signed by Governor Cuomo on Friday, requires all employers, including churches, religious schools, faith-based pregnancy care centers, and religious nonprofits to disavow their belief after about abortion, <coughs> contraception, and sexual morality by forcing them to hire and employ those who refuse to abide by the organization's statement and faith. And that's why I'm covering it. The reality is, you liberals allow Islam to do whatever the fuck they want. Throw gay people off roofs, you defend them. Cover women in burqas, you defend them. All the shit you do, you defend them. Why can't you leave Christians alone? A Christian organization has the rights to have hiring practices and work standards just like you do. I mean, you guys enforce work standards in New York and on the other coast that literally say I got to have 95 pronouns and I can be fired if I don't use the 95 pronouns. Well, then Christian organizations could say you can't have an abortion and work here. We're an anti-abortion clinic. That's their right. That's any business's right. No shirts, no shoes, no shirt, no service, no abortion, no service. Simple thing. Alexander DeSantis, this came from the New York Times to show how sick these fuckers are. Here's the New York Times referring to a fetal heartbeat as the pulsing of what becomes the fetus heart. But at least they managed to upgrade from embryonic pulsing, which is what they used in their reporting earlier this year. Somebody asked, why do they twist themselves like this trying to dismiss a heartbeat early on when they don't have a problem with late term after you have fully formed baby? Why do they? Why? I have a soundbite on some anti-abortion stuff. We're really long today. I'm going to save it for next podcast. But you won't believe this one. It's pretty fucking sad. Culture crave to get off abortion and gay stuff. Director Elizabeth Banks defend reboot and blames men for Charlie's Angels flopping with 8.6 domestically on a $50 million budget. Excuses, excuses, the second article. Elizabeth Bank complains feminist movie flop reinforces a stereotype. Radical pro-abortion activist Elizabeth Bank's Charlie Angel reboot was a huge flop over the weekend with a $50 million budget. <clears throat> or sorry, $50 million movie coming in third of the box office and only bringing in a little over $8 million. They fucking worded that. It's the same thing I just said. It cost $50 million, They only made $8 million. The reason for the film's disastrous opening... According to Banks, sexism. 
Before Bizzle Weekend, according to IndieWire, Banks told the Herald Sun, because she was prequeling that the movie sucked, about the importance of the film's financial success to feminists. Look, people have to buy tickets to this movie, too. This movie has to make money. If this movie doesn't make money, it reinforces a stereotype in Hollywood that men don't see women do action movies. Oh, really? There's been a whole bunch of successful action women, women movies. She attributes the success of Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel to them being comic books in a male genre. So even though these are movies about women, they put them in the context of feeding the larger comic book world. So it's all about, yes, you're watching Wonder Woman movie, that, but we're setting up three other characters or we're setting up Justice League. By the way, I'm happy for those characters to have box office success, but we need more women voices supported with money because that's the power. The power is money. Banks continued on a rant about comic book films and women in an interview with Wall Street Journal. You've had 37 Spider-Man movies and you're not complaining. I think women are allowed to have one or two action franchises every 17 years. I feel totally fine with that. Banks added she was interested in launching a big franchise driven by women character because that's often not the case in Hollywood. Being in a big franchise allows you to have it all. I recognize the same thing. It's almost unfair to women. The best roles are usually in small movies, but when you don't make any money, it's okay to want to make money. On Monday, Banks admitted the movie she directed, produced, wrote, and starred in was a flop, but insisted she's still proud of it. Charlie's Angels and Happy It's in the World. Maybe the film was a box office kryptonite because its star, pansexual weirdo Kristen Stewart, and two relatively unknown actresses instead of Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore, and Lucy Liu, who were at the top of their game in the early 2000s. Responses to this. Whatever the reason, one thing's for sure, Banks won't be getting her big feminist Charlie Angels franchise anytime soon, somebody says. And secondly, wait a minute. Charlie Angels was a hugely successful TV show. Maybe it's you. Once again, when that one lady was in... um, God damn it, my, my mind just fucking locked up. Let me pause and reboot my mind. Sicario! Damn it. The one Emily Bloom was in Sicario. She talked shit about America. It flopped miserably. It became better on download. And then the second one was usually successful because they got rid of her. And that movie's awesome. But I didn't go to it because of her. Maybe it's you. Maybe. A Federalist Society dinner features Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh has brought out the protesters who got another chance to break out the handmade tail garb. They show pictures of these people. There are also handmaids standing outside the Federalist Society Brett Kavanaugh dinner. A Federalist Society member passed by them in tuxedo. Still awkward as all these Fed Society people in tuxes are stuck standing here with people shouting, Hey, hey, ho, ho, Kavanaugh's got to go. Also, I see Rod Rosenstein in the line for this gala with Brett Kavanaugh. This massive video of Christian Blasey Ford testimony is played on repeat in front of Brett Kavanaugh's dinner guests as they wait outside. That's They're still mad that they couldn't derail his nomination. Yeah. Somebody said, tastes like tears of the vanquished. And to other sexist shit, actress Longoria whines, women are alienated by Hollywood. Oh, really? Really? Hmm. To odds and ends, sometimes you just need to laugh, and when the compulsory feeling arises, the reliable source of mirth to read is the Guardian UK. 
Whenever there's a ridiculous leftist outrage that not only defies logic but trends towards self-parody, you can count on The Guardian to s- come out with an op-ed. Meet Arwa Mahadwi, a very serious, so totally follow her every word type columnist at the esteemed periodical who wrote about Donald Trump Jr.'s book release. Her tweet, latest column is on how the right are constantly triggered and never shut up. She said that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Other great pieces by her. Is your home constantly set to sexist temperature? You're not alone. Yeah, that, that, that's fucking awesome. Elizabeth Warren. Traffic violence kills thousands and injures even more Americans every year. On World Day of Remembrance for Traffic Crash Victims. And sending my love to families and friends of those who have lost loved ones. It's time to end traffic violence. What the fuck is she talking about? You want us to support women? What the f- What is National Remembrance of Tra- What is that? Callie Wheeler Weavers, our next victim, is accused of murder three movies... No, she's not. I'm sorry. It's Sadie Doyle. Callie Wheeler Weaver is accused of murder murdering three women at an attempt to kill a fourth. One of his alleged victims, 20-year-old college student and alleged sex worker Sarah Butler, messaged him before they met up. You're not a serial killer, right? Sadie Doyle, a feminist author, prefers to be addressed by she, her, thank you very much, apparently thinks Butler's death makes for a great opportunity to make a joke about toxic heterosexuality. She tweeted this. You're not a serial killer, right? She texted before she died. Prosecutors say that's exactly what he was. Her tweet, Siri, show me heterosexuality. You ever heard a guy named Dahmer who butt-fucked people then ate them? I don't know, it could be me. Then for the outrage of all outrages that I should have put sooner in the fucking story instead of the back of the story. Burger King bends to the fucking vegan crowd getting sued by vegans for impossible burger contamination. We want our burger our way. This is, I should have put it inside lighter fare. A bunch of vegans are suing Burger King because they want to have their impossible burger their way. Pristine. Without any meat residue on the grill. Philip Williams just filed a class action lawsuit claiming that Burger Giant advertises the Impossible Burger as a vegan alternative to its meat burgers, yet they're all cooked cooked on the same grill. Williams says his burger was contaminated by meat byproducts. He bought the burger in question in Atlanta. The lawsuit says Burger King has no disclosure on its menu that would notify a consumer prior to the purchase of the Impossible Whopper that it was cooked in a manner that would result in meat byproducts on the burger. You know, there have many numerous complaints posted online by outraged vegans. Williams not only wants damages, he wants the judge to order Burger King to stop cooking Impossible Burgers and the OG Burgers on the same grill. What? The fucking fuck. It just, it proves my point. It just proves my point over and over and over. You can never, ever, 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 ever win in the woke Olympics. You just can't. You can't win. 
Which takes us to our lighter fare. Eric Solwell farting on live TV. This is so good. Taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help them cheat an election. And the complaint that I've heard from Republicans. I think that's a fart. Chris Riotta, Eric Solwell, a California Democrat and former 2020 hopeful, appears to have farted on live television while discussing the impeachment into Donald Trump. Cannot believe I'm actually typing these words. Solwell regularly appears on TV as a face for the House Committee, spearheading an impeachment inquiry into Trump. Confirmed to me that this is an unedited clip, but I've now also seen the live stream. Can't say for sure whether the fart was the congressman. A actual print screen of somebody talking to Solwell. I'm really sorry about this, but I have to ask if this was you in the studio. It was not me. Ha! Huh. I didn't hear it when I was speaking. You look like you heard it and are stifling a laugh. I definitely did not hear it. Hardball. Sorry to disappoint the cons- conspiracy theorist. It was the hardball mug scraping across the desk. Oh, really? The old mug. The dog did it. Got it. Comfortably smug, the FCC should investigate what Eric Solwell just did. The disgusting vocal display has no place on live television. And he was jesting, because that's what the left would be saying. Aji Pai, I hate to cause a stink, <laughs> pun intended, but we have to decline the invitation. Any FCC investigation would abruptly run out of gas, given that this alleged emission occurred on a cable news network. The relevant rules apply only to broadcast television which is super 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 funny and two short ones i have a thanksgiving guide for conservatives i'm gonna bump it along with the conservative female getting treated like shit and the anti-abortion soundbite because we're at like three minutes three hours and 20 minutes um so one is camel cow donkey found roaming together along kansas road Authorities discovered a camel, a cow, and a donkey roaming together along a Kansas road in a grouping reminiscent of the Christmas nativity scene. And liberals just got triggered, and they're going to be banning that road. Actual picture. Pretty good. But my favorite, because we do not have This is America 2019 today, is Mike Baker. South Dakota has launched a campaign to combat meth. And I don't know who thought this was a good idea. I want to meet them and literally find out what the fuck is wrong with you. A picture of their state outline, meth. We're on it. Really? Really? You, You thought that was a good campaign? Really? What a fucking moron. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments about the track to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast, gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Make sure you check out the Flyover Politic Facebook page at FOP Podcast and the Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. We're going to go with another podcast on the 23rd of November, Year of Our Lord, 2019. Uh, the Better Half's working this Saturday, so I'm on a podcast. And then we'll try to get one out before 
Thanksgiving, probably the 27th. So we'll go the 23rd and the 27th. Until then, stay warm. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah-yeahs. And tune back in Saturday or Monday when you see it's already recorded for another exciting episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Thank you.